Huga. What's Huga? Huga is uh, the Dutch Zen. Oh, is Huga? Huga. Huga. Yeah, I found a book on it not too long ago, and what the Dutch my girlfriend's is... been uh, reading it. She read all like 200 pages in three or four days. So what the Dutch, their idea of Zen is heavily associated with being a good host? Or? It's part of it. It's a lot oh, more than that. It's like the lighting in their uh, homes. So oh. like in that part of Europe, there's not a whole heck of a lot of daylight during the winter months. Mm-hmm. So in order to combat the natural cycle of maybe falling into a state of you know depression or not uneasiness because of the lack of sunlight or the lack of outdoor <laughs> capabilities they kind of facilitate all of the uh like comfort within their homes via candle lighting and uh a I lot dig more. that man there's a lot more than just that but for some freaking reason candles are all i can think of right now <laughs> no having a nice ambiance in the house is important apparently then. yeah no, i dig that it's a quality of coziness and comfortable conviviality that engenders a feeling of contentment or well-being and it's danish slash swedish it's an entire lifestyle i like that it's like their uh take on what they i would say zen yeah or feng shui yeah the book is called the little book of haiga danish secrets to happy living by mike wiking i'll definitely check that out i was gonna ask you how your zen exploration has been going you're the oh i think i'm I'm at the point where it's application mode. Yeah. So trying to implement it in your everyday life. Well, you don't try to implement Zen. In my from my understanding of it. Huh. You embody it and that's that's it. Mm. You reflect on events in real time or the day after and you see how you could have improved in small interactions or what pissed you off or what is pissing you <laughs> off. And you try to chip away at uh at your transgressions a little bit at a time or what angers you, what yeah. disturbs your inner peace. And eventually you should get to a point where the peace is just there. And when it's just there, you're actively in Zen mode, I guess. That t- I would think that would take years for yeah. to actually, I mean, it's very easy to say, oh, that's just water off a duck's back. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to say that and try to live that lifestyle, but I think it would take years of understanding and discipline to to get to that point. Undoubtedly, where it, everything can be water off a duck's back. Yeah, for sure. I um, we we don't really talk a lot about this, but on my spiritual journey, I guess a lot of what I've read and tried to correlate to my life or absorb and compare to how my life has gone has been retroactive. So when I started reading Zen. Uh, books in the Tao, for example, which is the way East Asian principles of Zen and other you know, Stoic-like behavior, I was reading it almost in hindsight. I wasn't reading it to see what can I do um, to m- ensure that I live this way. I was reading it to see what I had done already mm. that aligned with it and whether or not, you know, the cliche thing to say is uh, I was searching for myself or looking for myself within these uh, spiritual practices that have been around much longer than I have been. I was trying to identify a part of my identity um, with something that made sense because not much made sense um, as far as the the go-to religious doctrines and the go-to practices that people have here and adopt here 
in the it's U.S. because there's so much stigma when it comes to Western religion, don't you think? Well, I mean, yeah. it's all about. I've always said this. I've always said that organized religion too often is about what you shouldn't do. Spirituality is about exploring what you can, what you can do. Yeah, yeah. and I think that's you know that's why I think you and I are both much more attracted to exploring spirituality than I think we would ever be truly towards organized religion. I think the difference between us is that we, I think we have probably very different views in terms of I, I think i'm much more jaded and cynical towards organized religion than you are probably would you agree with that i would agree with that i i i skip the audience factor though the audience and factor. yeah i don't look at the practicers of religions and hmm. assess the effectiveness of the religion based on the people that have adopted it i try to go as far back in time and look at the originators of the concepts and the ideas and see what those people said. But it's people though, who are responsible for the, for the misinterpretations. Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of like whenever you read the old Testament and Mm -hmm. there's crazy rules in there about being able to sell your daughter to slavery when she disrespects you or how to beat your slave to the point where they listen, but they don't blind, you don't blind them. Right. I mean, Somebody wrote that. Somebody thought that was a rational thing to write down. Mm. And if people want to say to me, well, let's let's consider the times. No, there was Eastern religions that weren't saying this kind of crazy shit at that time and even before then. So it's kind of like probably in response to some of the stuff that was being said in other doctrines. Maybe, but you can also look at Greek philosophers that were around before the time of Jesus sure. that had a better idea of morale than what we find often in the Bible. Yeah. So it's like we can say, uh, you know, it's people's misinterpretation and people perverting religion and making it their own. But the truth is, though, that to me, when you look at the actual wording of, you know, what, what we find in religion talking about specifically or just... i mean some of the, some of the rhetoric in the old testament which is you know to me incredibly abrasive right uh um so i i can't i guess the difference between us is i i can't differentiate and say um no this is people who are cocking up what religion could be no the the language to begin with to me is abrasive whether people follow it or not it's there to begin with the language is abrasive on a on an edited level though in my opinion you think it's it's sort of what i'm reading is the eventuality of what people added on what they want to use this to control others with this is where i like oh if morgan was here <laughs> teardrop <laughs> well maybe we should brief people on why they're they're hearing miguel and sasha on this episode of meandering oh, yeah. this is a first i'm i'm excited about this episode very much so and uh, we knew this inevitably would occur. Uh, Morgan yeah. has left the program. He is a professional horse racer. <laughs> he's retired and uh, he's not coming back. And, you know, no, I'm kidding. He's just heading out of town and couldn't record this week. And I called my buddy Miguel up and said, hey, you want to have a first time ever meandering with Miguel and Sasha? Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. I can't wait to do the artwork. I'm going to put a big X on Morgan's name. <laughs> <laughs> right hand right in Miguel. Oh, it's gonna yeah. be great. But um in conversations with Morgan about this, he tends to uh attribute boy, I gotta get back on on track, the the religious talk. Um so yeah, I, I'm on his side when it comes to the yearning for power that people within that domain of religious literature, because yeah. I mean since 
the printing press, it's been a legitimate business. The Bible is the most sold uh, book around the world. Absolutely, it's, yeah. It, n- not even close. It's like the Tom Brady of sold of books. sold books. Yeah, it's the goat <laughs> of sold books. And it so, absolutely is. Yeah. yeah, and there's tons of money behind that. I don't know what the the industry looks like, but I mean, it's probably in the hundreds of millions at the very low end. I would assume. I think that the the Catholic religion is Christianity, but specifically Catholicism, is the greatest hustle and grift of all time because you can sell something to somebody. That you invented. It's like, well, hey, you need me. Well, why do I need you? The person asked to like the priest. Well, I'm here to save you. Save me from what? Original sin. What do you mean original sin? I didn't do anything. I'm a good person. I didn't, didn't hurt anybody. Why do I need to be saved? No, no, no. You don't understand. Original sin is something you are born You're with. You're born into. You are born with this. And oh, this is how I can save you. Don't yeah. you know that? And it's like, what an amazing hustle. It's something that you invented for somebody that they essentially need or else they're going to hell. I mean, that, (laughs) well, it it also, it, it raises the question of what impetus do any of these organizations have to make the world a better place if they can continue to be the, um, the escape, the communal sort of uh, safe haven for people. Where, right? Who, what incentive? Yeah. What? Yeah. What? Uh, what incentive do they have when, if the world remains this ugly, uh, scary place, they'll always be, you know, the church for people to turn to um, by at the end of it all for salvation. And where, where I draw a very like, um, I, I walk a narrow line here. I do believe in the idea of there being a higher source of, uh, escape's not the right word, but a, a higher source of freedom and spiritual cleansing uh, that the world cannot offer that is sort of ethereal and um, can't be explained and it comes from the internal um, so it can be explained, but it has to be understood fully, and that part's tricky because you're always evolving it, and it's growing, much like the universe. But breaking it down and sort of boxing it in and saying, okay, let's turn it into a business has never jived with me. And that's what a lot of people do because yeah. the religion for better part of the last thousand years has been just making money and power and influence over others. and so it raises this complex web of causes and effects that I think I'm starting to get a a track on how it all originated. And that makes me support the the original ideals even more. Because if you look at how misinformation travels today after a news story breaks, for example, everybody's social influencers, uh, specifically news organizations, even people who have no real horse in the race are trying to have their opinion on a story like leveraged mm-hmm. so that they can have some influence over the outcome. Yeah. Um, I don't think we do that. I don't think we did that with big stories like COVID. I think we were trying to inform as clearly and concisely as we possibly could with all the information that we had in real time. And so I have a parallel for what that might look like with other important topics. And I think it is plausible that there have been spiritual gurus throughout the history of time that have spoken from their heart and from what they're, they were experiencing. And then the people they told just took 
what they were told and and skewed it into, oh, man, I can make a lot of money or I can make a lot of friends or I can influence a lot of people with this. And then you end up with the, the business of religion that you have today. Who was it that said, and I'm looking, I'm going to never waste a good tragedy? Oh, uh, no, I think, uh, are you talking about modern uh, modern person who said? Uh, like yeah, yeah never, I think it was uh, Rahm Emanuel. Um, you remember Rahm Emanuel? He's, oh, yeah. yeah it's like a, a crisis. Um, yeah. Hold but on. that idea has been around forever, though, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. He just had the cojones to actually say it, as despicable as it sounded. Yeah, you never let a serious crisis go to waste. And what I mean by that, job, it's Sasha. an opportunity to do things you think you could not do before. And I mean, yeah, that's that's both good and bad, because you yes. can exploit um, any tragedy for good or bad. I mean, it's like, if it, sometimes we've talked about this. It takes the shit to hit the fan sometimes for things to change for the mm -hmm. better. So if he meant it that way... That's awesome. But yeah. there's there's too often that's not what it means Absolutely. when it comes to capitalists. And in this day and age, when it comes to capitalists, almost everybody wants to be one, I feel. Um, I feel like all the way down to the, the little guy who has a social media following of X amount of people, even if they get two to three likes on their social media posts yeah. or their pictures on Facebook, all of a sudden they feel like this this gravitas of pull and influence that they have over these it's, two or it's three a, people. It's emotional currency, basically. Yeah, and they're sent on this, this psychological train of keeping with whatever pleases those people. Yeah. And that's, I don't know, that, that doesn't seem... I think seem, it's regressive. I, it I is think very regressive. I think it's awful. Especially with 8 billion people on the planet. See, 2,000 years ago, you had, what, maybe like 50,000? Yeah. And so... I don't know what the world population was in the year zero. I'm curious now. You're looking at what's the what was the world population in the year zero? In that is in one AD. So oh, the population around the world. Okay, well, never mind. That was a little off. Three hundred million compared to seven billion. Is, compared to seven billion, yeah, it's a fraction. Yeah. So I don't know. Are are things? Is influence better preserved, and are ideas better preserved with a smaller amount of people? I don't think you need to think too much about that. Uh, yeah. I think we're better. I mean, it's, as terrible as it may sound and abrasive to a lot of people, especially those who are religious, I think that we are better off with a much smaller population than we are with a grander population of people. It's just more opportunity for people to fuck shit up, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with When more people get their hands in on anything, a good idea, it typically gets rooted and perverted I, I don't know what the magic number is, but right. let's just say you were mentioning before we started recording this 98th episode, 98 episodes of meandering is crazy. Um, but you were talking about how you and your spouse were writing short stories. Yes, we are going to be writing short stories this year. So at what point to where if you disclose your short story to like a certain amount of people, do people start misinterpreting it? Like um, that's to say... Like if you have an idea in mind of what you wanted out of the story and you know it, you know the themes, you know the characters, you know their motivations and how the plot runs. This happens in music a lot. Like you know the point of the song, you know all the interpretations of the song. And then like when you reveal it to an audience, you give up that that exclusivity to people who are listening or reading or watching your movie and you open yourself up to criticism. Now, yeah. if somebody is so steadfast about their interpretation of something that 
they kind of hijack your work, your creative work. Do they have the they have the ability to do that and they have the freedom to, but do they have the right to suggest that their interpretation is more meaningful than yours? As you being the creator of said work, the, does the audience have the like does a movie critic is a movie critic allowed to swoop in to a Denis Villeneuve movie and say, "Oh, this is what Denis was trying to do." No, he has a right to his own interpretation. He has a right to think he's but right. But who has the influence over the the masses? Is it Denis Villeneuve or is it the critic these days? It just depends. If 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 who carries more weight is is always going to be subjective nowadays because it's like Denis. He is one of the most respected yeah, filmmakers. Blade Runner 2049. We can go on and on. Sicario. He has not made a single bad movie. Yeah, not I would, a single I would bad movie. Dune. Every, every single movie he's made is at least somewhat brilliant. Mm-hmm. So his weight and his because of his success and thus really his skill has given him a hell of amount of leeway that people will be more willing to dismiss the critics of his next work. Um, so it, but if there's a, a little known filmmaker who makes an okay movie and there's a very well-known critic, well, of course, who's going to have more weight in that situation? The critic. Yeah. Exactly. It's not fair, but it's the truth. Hmm. So in that sense, the good news is most of the time it is a merit game when it comes to filmmaking, because there's also <laughs> movies that I think that don't deserve as much credit as, as it, they're getting, which is like the second avatar. I was a huge defender of the first avatar when it came out. People for years said, oh, it's Pocahontas in space. No, it's not. If you're going to criticize Avatar, it's not Pocahontas in space. It's Fern Gully in space, you idiots. Okay. It's absolutely Fern Gully. I okay? see it. So I, and I love the first Avatar. I think it was, it was a ballsy movie to make that I think few other filmmakers would have touched. I like the second It was ahead one. of its time, even. Absolutely it was, which is hard to say in post-2000. Yeah, absolutely. And yet it was. Right. I liked the second Avatar. Do I think that so much of the money that it's making is because of the hype that it's attached to James Cameron. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's like the next fast and furious movie. It's going to be a juggernaut of a box office movie, but it doesn't make it a masterpiece. No, me. it's cotton candy. Even though this one might be a masterpiece. Who knows? <laughs> I hate I'm kidding. I have not watched the fast and furious movie since the second one. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, and we got a lot of catching up to my man. wife. Man. My girl loves those movies mm-hmm. and she'll walk in the theater saying, I know this is trash. Mm-hmm. I know this is bad. Mm-hmm. But I have so much damn fun watching it. And my girl Helen Mirren's in it. My girl Shelly Starin, two of her crushes. Yeah. You know, so it's like you have these people you admire and you know the movie's bad. You're conscious of it. You're not going to take it seriously. It's okay to enjoy. So with fiction, I'm on board with you. It depends on, you know, if you're trying to launch a small time movie, you want the audience interpretation in a lot of regards. Yeah. Um some independent art or independent music may not be the same because the motivations aren't the same. Um, and for what it's worth in movie making as well, there's a lot of independent film students who don't really give a shit if anybody ever sees their movie. They just want to do it to do it. However, uh, next question, how about with reality? How about with current events, um, with things that actually take place on this planet? Is the authority over how things go with the audience that observes something and has a perspective on or varying perspectives on what is occurring or what has occurred, is the sphere of influence more fairly present with the 
events themselves or the that's to say like if ai came around i'll just insert ai into this conversation <laughs> if ai could write news stories on something like the ohio uh train derailment yeah. that is spewing toxic stuff and give you sort of a complete version of the entirety of the events before people were able to go on twitter or social media and insert their flawed perspective and opinion on the matter would we live in a more what's the downside of living in an accurate world where opinions are somewhat like auto corrected before they can emerge do we need ai for that do we need ai or isn't is, wasn't that a one time call journalistic integrity to yes. have a human being saying i'm going to report to you just the facts Absolutely. So I don't think we need AI for that. But and now if we've we got non-journalists reporting the news, whether it's on social media, you whether got it's talking on your heads Facebook like Tucker Carlson yeah, or somebody. Yeah, I get that. People with with social media followings and scarily, even more scarily, large revenue streams that are dependent on swindling their audiences in a certain direction or polar, getting polarizing paid. them. Yeah. yeah, getting paid to polarize them or push certain narratives. Absolutely. Yeah, it's such bullshit. I mean, it, it's frustrating, but the truth is, the, at least the good news is, is that it's harder to cover up the truth. I'm glad you mentioned the whole North Fork thing that's happening right now. Well, it's, I say North Fork. It happened in Palestine, Ohio, East yeah. Palestine. The name of the company that's responsible for it is North Norfolk Southern, I think it is. Uh, yeah, Norfolk yeah. Southern, the yeah. train company. Uh, so it's funny because if this would have happened 20 years ago, mm -hmm. They would have been able to put their spin on it, and we would have found out the who, truth. Who knows if it's three or four years later. Who knows if later. it has happened. I mean, we know by watching a movie like Dark Waters that it's yeah. occurred on in other levels of industry, like the paint industry. Or but back DuPont. then, it took years it for took us to find out what was going on with DuPont. Now, yeah. the good news is, we're within finding out week. <laughs> by, within hours. I mean, Absolutely. look, they've, they've had the coat pulled on them and the curtain pulled back within hours. They First, yeah. they tried to say that, hey— it's not really um, that hazardous. It's not that bad. Mm -hmm. Everything's going to be okay. You can return to your homes. Yeah. Final chloride. No big deal. <laughs> right. Like just the the, <laughs> the combination of those Christ. words. You don't have to be a, chemi uh, a chemical nerd or guru to understand that anything with chloride at the end is going to be pretty bad. It's not going to be something you want to drink easily. No. No. And, and the amount of carcinogens that we're actually finding out have been released within hours of what they were trying to spin. We found out quickly was bullshit into the air into the water of the ohio valley the ohio river is not like a small time river no. either it runs pretty uh pretty deeply into the southern and like eastern mountain region of the united states like the appalachias around west virginia tennessee kentucky all those states are inevitably going to be affected by this what's the recourse for something like this though because that's what i'm very much interested in like if we can establish the truth very quickly and the wrongdoing and the culprits, the next step after you identify that and you make people aware of what's really occurring is accountability, isn't it? Right. And this is a situation where it's not going to be a matter of finger pointing. I think that there is um, people that need to take responsibility for what happened going back 10 years. Right. I looked this up, and if my interpretation is correct, the Obama administration back in 2012 mm -hmm. was looking at companies like Norfolk and saying, listen, uh, we don't think what you're doing is that safe. 
uh, one of the things you need to work on is some new brake technology because believe it or not, the brakes that we're still using right now across the country goes the back 60s? to the Civil War. Oh my God. The Civil War. Sheesh. We're using air brakes. That's the same technology since the late 1860s. Now, Amazing. So what we found out in the late 19th, late 20th century, early 21st century is, that, listen, we have a new brake system that we can be using that's electronic brakes. Mm-hmm. And that's much more advanced than the things we've been using from the Civil War. Now, the Obama administration had told companies like Norfolk, hey, listen, we want you to start implementing these. And one thing that they did completely wrong that the Obama-Biden administration does deserve complete criticism for Mm -hmm. is that they did one really shitty compromise, which is to tell Norfolk, okay, you know what? You go ahead and start implementing these electronic brakes and promise to do so by this date. And in return, you don't have to classify certain materials and chemicals as being all that dangerous, as being hazardous. Because the moment you start classifying certain things as being hazardous, Mm -hmm. the hazmat laws kick in. Absolutely. Which requires much more money and security to implement. In the tankers themselves. Yes. More secure, more More time. if you derail, which there are over a thousand derailments in the United States on a yearly basis, which is crazy, which probably is because of the antiquated uh, old school technology that we're using on these things. Ridiculous technology. Is the undercurrent of all of this, like, capitalism absolutely because it's 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 profit over people profit over safety and so what happened was norfolk and all these other companies were 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 supposed to start in the 2010s implementing um better technology especially when it comes to the brake system specifically the electronic brakes that were going to be implemented now the trump administration listened to a lot and a lot of the gop listened to the lobbyists from Norfolk and all these other companies that said, we don't want to do that. Mm. don't want to do that. So they repelled what was going to be taking place when it comes to implementing the safer technology when it comes to the brake system. Right. What do you know? Lo and behold, this, this sounds happened. so familiar. You know what this sounds like? Mm. Sounds like all the Boeing talk from two or three years ago uh, with yeah. the defunct uh, engines that mm-hmm. Boeing was selling to upstart like small Indian airlines that <laughs> have billions of people that want to travel no yeah. money to do it and none of the major airlines want to like land in uh new delhi or mumbai on a frequent enough basis so right. these upstart like third world well india is not a third world country but there's plenty qatar here's a perfect example uh qatar is not third world but they don't have like a major airline player in the game um, until a couple of years ago. And um, it, wait, is, is Qatar the country I'm thinking of with the recent plane crash? I think it is. I think it is. I think it is. So I think it was a Qatar Air, Airways um, plane. And I believe like all, all of this was happening three or four years ago as well. And there was just a, an unhealthy amount of faulty engines and abrupt plane crashes that were just dropping out of the sky. And Boeing was under investigation for some time. I hope they still are for selling off uh, like trashy parts to so other par. Yeah, and yeah. all in the name of capitalism. Of course, it's kind of like recycling the stuff you're not using because you know it doesn't meet certain quotas. But in other countries, it eh, does. These third world folks, who gives a shit about them? And over in America, I, I feel like we do that consistently with the transportation agency, uh, with the education system, with the FDA. It's like whoever has a shoe in the game and uh, has sort of a uh, a relationship development system with the oversight committees, 
they get passes or they get at least insight on how to how to be roundabout about uh, getting away with things. It's the lobbyists. So it, this is I'm taking yeah. this straight from Democracy Now. It says data released by the Environmental Protection Agency shows the train contained more toxic and carcinogenic chemicals than initially reported by the company, including phosgen, phosgen, <sighs> a poisonous gas that has been used as a chemical weapon in the past. Holy cow. It actually was used as a fucking chemical weapon. Okay. Officials lifted an evacuation order for residents last Wednesday, saying that the air and water were safe, but residents have reported sore throats, burning eyes, and heavily respiratory, heavy respiratory problems. Animals as well. And here it is. And wildlife has been found dead. Absolutely. And meanwhile, scrutiny has turned into us. Meanwhile, scrutiny has turned onto North Fork Southern, mm-hmm. which in recent years has challenged regulatory laws aimed at making the rail industry safer and made mass cuts to railroad staffing while spending billions on stock buybacks and executive compensation. Ugh. There it is. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's greed at the top. Um, there was malt liquor on the, on the train as well. Seven or eight cars. <laughs> so capitalism. But <laughs> of course there was. <laughs> It was malt liquor and like very toxic chemicals, which usually go hand in hand. Um, <laughs> but Honey, no, I does mean, my beer taste like a little gas to you? Yeah, this this steel reserve doesn't taste too reserved to me. Oh man, um, let me taste my blue ribbon. Tell me if it tastes like poison. But isn't this like the hardest battle Jesus. that humanity has present day with the Western? sort of way of doing Battle things. what? Battling greed at the elites? Yes. Battling greed it, at the people who yes. are actually controlling this Isn't this country? like the biggest battle of our time? I've said that. I mean, it's, it's battling against the greed of the oligarchy who's actually in control of this country. Yeah. It pissed me off today whenever I saw these fuckers. But what's the recourse? It's it, You can't... Hold them responsible. Yeah, but what does that mean in this day and call, age? First of all, call them out. What I was going to say is the fuckers that I saw today on places like Fox News saying, yeah, this is terrible. You know, the EPA under Biden is just... just they, they, they face That's politicized, blah, blah, blah. But Not going to get you anywhere. Yeah, but these same fuckers were the ones that were actually taking money from the, the industries like the, tra- uh, the, the train. I'm yeah. Bring for. Yeah, like the, the train industries were basically... Just freight transportation. We, we, we're finding out now that a lot of these guys who are coming on TV right now took money from the lobbyists who are part of uh, you know the train industry yep. that fought for deregulation. And now they're coming on Fox News saying, oh yeah, we knew this all along. The EPA didn't listen to us. No, it's not that, you lying fuck. You're like, you took their money. Right. And everyone right now is calling out, I'm glad, by name. The politicians were coming on TVs acting like they give a shit about the people in Ohio right. when they were taking basically bribes. Well, they haven't stopped the drug war or the uh, no, drug the, epidemic. Oh, the opioid ap- epidemic yeah. is an absolute joke right now here in the U.S. Yeah, that whole Midwest area is – I don't know, man. God, I, I don't know what I would feel like if I was a resident of the Ohio Valley or Kentucky. Ohio, that, West Virginia, Virginia, Pennsylvania, they're all being – Devastated yeah. right now by the opioid epidemic. And Ohio, ironically enough, ends up being one of the states that's responsible for picking a precedent so often <laughs> right. and their swing state. And I would just feel like I'd want to boycott the entire political system at this point if I w- lived in Ohio because it hasn't done anything for me. It doesn't care about my health, doesn't care about my safety, doesn't care about my children. I'm not saying the people of, of Ohio deserve this because there's going to be an unquantifiable amount of people who did not vote for this shit but there's an unfortunate number of people in ohio like kentucky that keep voting and voting and voting for people who do not share their interests who are negligent when it comes to their safety yeah you're right i mean look at mitch mcconnell 
Yeah. And we he's have Kentucky. J- JD Vance, I think is in Ohio. This this he's somebody right now who is an arbiter of deregulation. And he has the damn nerve to come on TV right now acting like he's clutching his pearls, upset about what's happening to the people in Ohio. Get the mm. fuck out of here. Like it's it's absolute bullshit. And again, we we have a responsibility to ourselves to pay attention to what not only the politicians say, but more importantly, what they do and who they take money from. Because it's going to keep happening. I was thinking about it. Is, does this do things happen like this more often in places like Ohio and Kentucky because they're so damn poor, or could it happen here in Dallas? Well, they're also the specifically like the train derailments stuff like that. Yeah, they're they're the hubs. Well, they're not only poor they're they're rooted in in my opinion antiquated transportation ways of of moving freight there's more trucks in that part of the country as far as highway interstate travel because it's it's the crossroads of the east and the west as well so and the north and the south for what it's worth so if you're trying to move anything vertically or horizontally across the map you have to run through ohio and you run through indiana and these places with I mean, have you ever been to Indiana or Ohio? No. Like, there's strips of those states where it's nothing but like oil, canola oil or canola flower farms and farms with uh, sunflowers and stuff because that's the big profit stuff now is just fields and fields of canola. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of boring to go through, but um, there's a lot of train tracks. There's it It just feels like. I, I go back to recourse, and I think the infrastructure, and this is where Biden's got something planned, or at least they passed some gigantic monstrosity of a bill to look at the infrastructure and the transportation infrastructure We're of this country. We're enjoying it here in Dallas. We're about to get a new subsist- a whole subway system. Yeah. So. Are we? Yeah. Well, that's, that's new to me. Yeah, look it up, man. Well, that's cool. It's the D2, I think it's going to be what? called. Yeah, look a it up. Subway. We're going to get a subway system here in Dallas because our mayor uh, did accept the federal funding that our governor was saying we shouldn't do. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's called. I didn't know we had a thorough enough underground. Okay. It's just going to be in downtown. It's going to be, they're going to start at downtown. It's okay. going to take you around downtown. We also have the silver line now, which is going to take us all the way to Fort Worth, mm. which we've never had before. So uh, there are places in the U S that are taking advantage of federal money to improve infrastructure. Obviously look what's happening here in the DFW. My question is what would the response be? If that train derailment happened here in Dallas where there's money, mm-hmm. do you think that things would be moved quicker? Do you think that, you know, hmm. man, that's a hard question. Because it's like people don't, we know it. People don't give a shit about the poor in this country. We pretend to. Right. On the evening news, performatively, we, we give a shit. We do feel bad as people when we see what's happening to all these families. But Yes. But do people even give a shit about the story? The well-being of thousands if not millions of people in the ohio valley and kentucky and wherever like these fumes end up uh infiltrating i think the fact that we're talking about is indicative we reflect yeah absolutely um and it's not like we get paid for uh having this podcast so it's not like part of our job it's not a requirement uh for us to care or empathize with the situation yeah but how much of it is an awareness problem and like knowing the details of how this happened why it happened and how it can be resolved that's part of that's part of understanding the scope of it isn't it or any news story and I, then I, I and think, then you get a lot, you just get people who watch tv the nightly news and they'll hear a one hour blurb 
on their programming schedule about this derailment, and they'll turn to each other and say that's terrible, but they won't take it further. They won't discuss what we're going to try to discuss. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, I think there's very few people that can instigate change or at least usurp the change makers in Washington. I, you know what I'd like to see then, since you're saying that? I'd like to see some protest. I would like to see the people of Ohio get out in the street. It shouldn't just be Ohio. It should be across the country saying this is yeah, it's close. insane. It's close. That town is not big enough. And to go back to your question, if it would have happened in a bigger city, I think you would see that. Oh, yeah. Like if this happened in Dallas, the streets would be. If the water system in Dallas was plagued with toxins from a train spill, it could have been prevented because from what I heard, the brakes on the train failed like uh, three or four days prior to the train being green lit to go on its route, which, I mean, instantly, shouldn't you just fire everybody who's involved in clearing that train to like go i hope leave the leave wherever it left like you should you should get rid of every inspector of the train should be let go i mean forget the family of the those people just like teach them a lesson here i think the the way to teach quote unquote teach a lesson is to go after the ceos sure i mean that's 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 who we need to make an example from the top down absolutely because if if we make the top terrified to actually be held responsible for shit like this Mm -hmm. That's what's going to make a notable difference on a cultural level for the next decade. If we can make an example out of in in Taiwan, you know, they'll throw their CEOs in prison for 20 years for this kind of shit. Other countries take pride in holding heads of companies responsible. You know, I mean, look up the way China and Taiwan and Japan Mm -hmm. holds their CEOs responsible. Do we have a judicial system that is adequate enough to go about doing something? No, because we have a judicial system that is laughably corrupt. Right. Uh, Because it's it's, whether we want to admit it or not. It's a BP was under scrutiny for what, like maybe a year or so after Deepwater Horizon, and then boy, BP's right back to making billions every year. Yeah, uh, Exxon Valdez in or the Exxon Valdez in the late eighties, uh, I think, right, eighty eight, eighty nine. Yeah, were they under scrutiny for very long? I mean, the name was that's the, the problem. Name we know Exxon Valdez. We can't name a single person who was the head of the company at that time. Right. So that's what it is. A, a company can take heat, and yeah. we can you know shake our fist in the air and, and talk about how angry we are. But until we actually know the names of the fuckers who are heading it off and hold them responsible, this is going to keep happening. All this anger we're seeing from politicians right now, it's all theater. Right. It's all fucking theater until they actually do something. Well, that's why I, I think about the um, the little guy in it all. And if you find out the companies that were involved, like the companies that were actually waiting for those chemical shipments to arrive, to put into their products, whether it's like a plastic maker or a, a paint company like DuPont, like, why isn't DuPont, like, boycotted completely by the American public today? Because of the stuff that they were doing um, uh, in the Dark Waters I, I era. I think in that situation, it's one of those things where we didn't know the extent of them poisoning people until okay. literally years and years later. Why does anybody want to move or live in Flint, Michigan any longer? Why isn't the entire city just yeah. boycotted and abandoned? It. I, I feel like people have choices, but they don't make them. Yeah. 
they don't make the the it's aware just, choice in a lot the of the oligarchy. I think we've talked about this. The oligarchy takes advantage of complacency. As yeah. long as the sheep, the cattle, known as the U.S. public, or we like to call the uh, what was your word for them? The blob. The blob. As long as the blob. Still the blob. It's, Four years later. It is. It's yeah. As long as the blob is busy satisfying impulses and worrying about their own problems, fuck do we care is what the oligarchy is thinking. The, the 1% again that is in control of this country. And we, we spoke about this many moons ago, pre-COVID. We talked about it recently as well. The shaking of complacency of the everyday Joe who doesn't really want to boycott DuPont because he just is fed advertisements or he likes Jeff Gordon, um, <laughs> whatever reason. Or it's just easy. It's the cheapest when you it's walk the into cheapest Walmart. When you walk into Walmart right for there. paint, but you don't care that they killed people off in uh, the early 2000s. Where the kids were born without eyes. With and deformities yeah. in uh, that town. I don't remember the town, but Dark Waters is a movie everybody should watch. After, everybody needs to after, watch. Dark especially Waters. after this movie, I would like, or after this uh, train derailment. I would love to see a spike in like rentals and watching of Dark Waters um, post this event um, in Ohio. So it's like in order to get through to that guy, you do have to make it very intimate. You have to make it a private sort of cataclysm that they endure, right? Mm -hmm. So what? You just raise the price of eggs even higher than six, seven bucks? You hit them where it hurts? Like what? Bacon and beer need to go through the roof? Uh, it's how do you elicit a response, a proactive response out of people who <clears throat> are needed to speak up loudly? Morgan and I had a discussion about supply and demand in this country, and he won me over in certain regards when he suggested that there are people who demand all these things. There are people who demand unhealthy foods. There's people who demand easy jobs where not much work is uh, asked of them or um, there's not real uh, humanitarian motivations behind it. People demand corruption in many regards or toxins in their foods, as strange as it sounds. There's demand for this, so it's going to continue to get supplied until the demand dwindles down. And it's, a, it's an impossible thing to wrap my head around, but how do you the question, I guess, to you and other folks is, how do you cut off the demand of negative aspects of reality that people have a demand for just inherently or conditionally? It just, it just depends. I mean, you're talking, if you're talking about something that's just a matter of convenience, that's mm -hmm. shit like McDonald's. McDonald's, if you actually look at all the chemicals that are in their food, is actually garbage. Or Fox News. How do you cut okay. off the demand for Fox News? <laughs> I mean, it's, again, that's because to them it's not shit. Right. It's the same thing as McDonald's. But it when, is when objectively. You, and that, you can say that non-biasly, non-partisanly. Like, you can observe. I mean, they're being sued for a reason right now. You can bring yeah, a Canadian sure. or someone from the North Pole, an Eskimo, who's never watched an ounce of American news media coverage on anything and you can sit him one day in front of um the local like well whatever cnn um cnn's trash too it's it's hard it's all trash right so it's corporate media yeah you can sit the somebody who's never been immersed in american media 
and ask them to critique after watching a certain amount of time. And the scientific study would say they'd probably rate everything very low as far as integrity and honesty is concerned. And yet we allow these public figures to maintain positions in our reality of which they make exuberant amounts of money. And I I don't understand it. Just like even the education system, Miguel, I was talking to my girlfriend about how in 15 to 20 years, the the need for children and teenagers to be self-aware themselves of K through 12 education not being as crucial as it used to be because you can now self-teach when you're when you're 14 15 years old and you're going to the 10th grade or 11th grade and your teacher has a curriculum passed down from the state which is disgustingly behind on what it should teach kids and you're being force-fed boring ass history notes that are unimportant in the grand scheme of things or at the very least things that you could self-teach on your own time if you had an interest in Texas history if you had an interest in uh, wars from the 1600s or the 1500s and learning about them you can self-teach and you can learn about all the generals and all the battles that were done None of that's going to affect your real life uh, unless you're a historian or a museum curator. But if you end up being, you know, um, a nine to five employee or a mom or a dad or somebody who works an average job, knowing these details of American history, it almost feels like it's it's put in there to make you like pick a side or to to get you worked up about stuff. So long story short, I feel as if, um, I don't know if you've heard the thought of bringing the uh, school week down to four days, Mm -hmm. but I love that idea and bringing it down from five days to four days. But I think even further, by the time my daughter, and she's six six now, I I think by the time she's 10 or 11, the abilities to self-teach with AI with parents who are willing to take accountability for the steering of their children mentally and intuitionally and just in every aspect is going to be so prevalent that schools won't be able to keep up. There's going to be more homeschooling. There's going to be less reliance on like forking over all of the um, authoritarianism of like, how does your child learn? Where does your child learn the most? Is it school or at home? I feel like it should always be at home. And Mm. now in the internet era that we live in and in the self-teaching era where kids can hop on YouTube and again, if they wanted to learn about a specific philosopher or a specific writer or a time period, yeah. yeah, you can flip on a video and in 30 minutes you've absorbed what the teacher is trying to go over over the course of many weeks for a test at the end of the day. What do you think kids aren't doing that on their own? Right. Well, now? that's what I'm I don't think they're doing it because I don't think they have been genetically coded with the ability to do it themselves. So I think we're in a transition period because you said genetically coded. I think yes. culturally coded is what I would use because parents don't that's give fair. A, most parents don't give a shit about teaching their kids. Kudos to you. But that's cultural. That's what I'm that's the problem. Yes. And the, then that's passed on genetically. So the kids have a chance to thwart that, I think. 
but they're not doing it quite yet. So more specifically, the children of today, let's say the 10 to 18-year-olds that are about to enter um, high school or go on to college, the ability to self-teach is there, and they do it, but they seem to do it with, like, again, I'm speaking generally here, but in general, I feel like they do it with trivial, uh, sorry, trivialities and trivial like knowledge. They don't really think to themselves actively, everything that my teacher taught me today, I can go home and by tomorrow, I'll probably know more than the teacher knows on this particular topic if I sink into it for an hour or two. How maybe, many, how many maybe kids? one out of a hundred does that. Right. Right. But I think that that number rises over the course of several years to the point where it puts so much pressure on the public education system that it's no longer as necessary as, as it is now. Uh, and I'm I think, so curious. Part of what you just said about the homeschooling, you think it's going to be more of a necessity in the next decade or two. Mm -hmm. I am so curious. I wish there was a way we could find out uh, if <laughs> hypothetically more parents between now and 2035 mm -hmm. homeschooled the hell out of their kids, what the eventuality of what that would look like. You know, are, are, are we going to be dumber or smarter as a society with that? The, pr the problem is, is that the reason I, I think it's not practical or pragmatic is that most people, most parents are willing to homeschool and they like the public education system or private school. It doesn't matter. Either right. one. So they don't have to do it. Right. And so forking over the responsibility. So that's sort of the two tier problem is yes. number one, there would need to be a cultural shift in which people did actually give a shit about teaching their kids better. Mm -hmm. And number two, we would have to actually implement to see what the results would be. Right. Um, and I'm so curious is because I, I talk to people who are homeschooled and we attach such a stigma to it. Uh, I think I was part of that when I was younger. Oh, this kid's homeschool. It means something different now than it used to when we were kids. Yeah, sure. when someone was homeschooled, we thought there was something wrong. It was with like what a punishment weirdo. or almost yeah, uh, what you do yeah, an an outlier to the to the public school system. Exactly. Yeah, and so there was always a stigma, especially with our generation, about kids who were homeschooled. But the mm -hmm. ones that I know that I find out were homeschooled are incredibly intelligent. That's There's usually kids. what happens over time as a concept gets refined by the people who adopt it. Yeah, but I also talked to people who were part of the you know public education system like I was, and I, they can't tell me how many continents there are in the world. Exactly. They don't know who fought in the Civil War. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. So I'm wondering, how does that happen? How does somebody graduate from high school and they don't know who fought in the American Civil War? They don't know who we fought in World War II? Now, some of these things you may find trivial because you're just like, well, you know, I'm not going to be history. No, I don't think they're trivial. I think they don't need to be... Um, Front and center. They don't need to be have dedicated amounts of time to it as far as, like, there's American history books, obviously, that are three, 400 pages. Yeah. And, um, you know, the hardback versions from Macmillan or whatever company <laughs> that you're sitting in front of a five, uh, fifth grader or sixth grader. Yeah. And that's when, you know, the history train of America starts being conditioned into the, the young mind. And not that there's anything wrong with that. I just feel as if there should be more of a, an openness to allowing certain topics to be self-guided in that area. Like there should be an honesty or a transparency in the public education system that is aware that 
knowing the details of the battles in the Civil War isn't going to get you anywhere extra in life. Right. But maybe knowing a little bit about certain work ethic concepts or psychological um, parts of life or just general humanitarian topics and issues should be covered at that age. I mean, we do sex ed, right? Uh, around the fifth or sixth grade. Yeah. Because apparently like public school systems have deemed that sex is a major part of life that is important for kids to, I, I, I took sex ed at 10. I mean, I, I was, I bet you did. I did. No, I did. It wasn't, Porn. It oh, was okay. porn didn't exist back in 1994 or five when I was a kid. See, not, sex, I mean, it did, but not like on the internet. Is sexual education that there's a perfect example? How many kids self teach their sexual education? Now that's in an this example era? of how it's not good because their no. version of self teaching is watching porn. My version was very healthy, which is I learned about the human reproduction system when I was ten. That's it's fair. Not a bad thing. You're right. It, it is unhealthy if you go the porn route, but you also have Web WebMD. You also have like I know not many kids are like, hey, show me the female anatomy and there might how be. it all works. There <laughs> might be a handful. Yeah. But you're right. It is it is porn for the most part. <laughs> Fortunately, is I was I was lucky that I wasn't exposed to porn until I was like 14 or 15 online. Yeah. Of course, we all have friends over or whenever we're like 12 or 13. Magazine like, stashes. Found, found stashes, you know, sure. But when it comes to like the nasty <laughs> hardcore shit, I wasn't exposed to that till I was a late teen. We can't say that about this generation now. You know, they're seeing like the, the <laughs> worst, craziest shit at 12 that we didn't see till probably 20 something or even maybe maybe a late teen with these Gen Zers. So no, I, I think that's why sex education is so important right now more than ever is because I don't want this new generation to have porn as their sex education. You know, I, th I think that's why now it's more important that the classes that I took when I was like 10 or 11 years old, they get. Um, because How do you tackle that? Have parents that aren't afraid to teach their kids um, about sex earlier on. I don't think I don't think a six or seven year old needs to know. But I think th I think that around the age of puberty, a 10 or 11 year old probably does. And I had I went to school with a lot of my friends who weren't allowed to take the class I was. Because their parents were just heavily religious, um, they thought that it was it was evil to talk to ten year olds about uh, sexual reproduction, which is kind of crazy to me. Um, that's where I learned. That's where I learned when I when I was ten years old what sperm was, mm -hmm. uh, what you know the reproductive system was for both men and women. I learned in school at ten years old because of that class. Uh, and that was, an, you know, as much as I might be shitting on parents for depending heavily on on the public school system too yeah. much, that's an area where I understand where my mom and dad were like a... Lackadaisical? Well, I mean, it was okay. Or apprehensive. Uh, not only I'm glad that they let me take that class because... So you're glad you learned it from strangers? I'm glad I learned it from teachers that I knew and um, okay. and videos that weren't tacky or graphic or, fair enough you know they were literally scientific at the end of the day they were well i guess they're not strangers but i remember in california we had different it was like a shift in curriculum completely when sex education came around what was what do you mean well you, you didn't have the same teacher that you would have for other stuff it was kind of like oh. a separate person would come in and yeah, they'd have I, the slides i, I and think ours was too all that and so it, it felt 
I don't know. It felt not forced, but it felt, I guess in our days, it felt like it was an upstart, like <laughs> program that was getting going. And I know sex yeah. education has been around for a while. I don't know how we got on this from corporate greed and, um, because I wasn't done talking about it. Was, it, it was but it, yeah, the education system is one of the big places where I think you need to see changes. You need to create. Look, there's no question in my mind in being an oligarchy aware guy, you should know this, that the blob is created in the education system. Sure. And what incentive does the oligarchy have to make sure the education system is as good as you want it to be and make people smarter. Well, that's the thing. I, I think it's an organic shift that they can't stop because self-teaching is available. We couldn't do it in our days. We couldn't self-teach right. ourselves. Self, well, you could. Sex education. Not like this, though. No, but you couldn't exactly. What it takes to absorb, even as short as 20 years ago, what it took like a week or two for you to learn and absorb, whether it's American history, you sex can take education, entire college courses right now for free on YouTube and other very spots. quickly. Yeah, yeah, very quickly. But the thing is, though, is that that's the case. But people are still as dumb as they've ever been. Yes. So that, that that's the key. There has to be. We're never going to just overturn the oligarchy overnight. There has to be a cultural change in which people decide. You know what? I'm going to take pride in knowing more. I want my kids to take pride in knowing more. Right. One of the videos that became viral over the last uh, year was called um, Gen Z Can't Answer Basic Questions. <laughs> now, a rational adult will look at that and be like, well, it's kind of like the jaywalking bit from back in the day. Yeah. Jay Leno. They'd pick the... They would pick people. Specific they, ones. They'd record a ton of interviews, but they'd pick the ones that were funny. Exactly. They probably picked 50 kids off the street, and they probably chose a dozen that were the dumbest. Nonetheless, even being conscious of that, it's still disturbing to see how many kids can't answer basic questions like I was talking about, like how many continents there are, uh, who fought in the Civil War, who was the first president of the United States. Yeah, There were a ton of these kids who, um, at, at part of me told my, part of me was like, probably fake. There's no way this, this amount of young people don't know who the first president of the United States was. It's probably fake. Many of them came out and were like, hey, I really didn't like this. I have got made to look like an idiot. So what if I didn't know these things? So an unfortunate number of them seem to be real. So my question is, you know, why is it that somebody, as far as I know, these kids probably, you know, they're 16, 17 years old. They're at that age, and yet they still don't know this shit. How do you not know this shit? Because it's, you have to go out of your way not to know some of this shit. Let's, let's pretend that you just true. cheated your way through school. Surely you've seen a movie. You've accidentally read part of a book. You know how it, it feels like. Sometimes, Have you? If you're on, if you're on your phone all day, communicating with your friends or scrolling through videos and TikToks. You know, that's the thing. I mean, if if you're if you're point, 14 or 15 now, what are you doing with your free time at home? I don't know if you're just diving into books and learning about. Uh, or even coming across that I think stuff. That's what that's what I'm trying the to world. understand is that everyone's curious at one point. Yes. Right. Everyone gets on Wikipedia to look up something at one point. Right. Oof. Man, I don't know. Is that is that a? Can we verify that? I don't know. You're not. That doesn't I, seem. I don't think so. I think the zombie herds of complacent people hardly maybe once a year. I mean, they've heard of Wikipedia. I think. But I don't they know think they exists. actively use it. 
Yeah, it's I like I was always under the impression that I've heard of TikTok. Yeah, but I don't actively use it. So there's a got to be a polar opposite of people who only know TikTok and have not ever and, touched yeah. Wikipedia and know the all of the trivialities of Isn't life. Is that something that none of the we should find terrifying? That we are that we're yeah. raising a generation of people that are, see, are we raising or, or are they taking that choice? Does it come down to the person making the choice at the end of the day? Because that's the easy way. It's the it's easy to take your finger and and push down on a screen and absorb information, albeit unimportant information. It's easy to do that. It's difficult to go to a specific site, type in a specific. This is the problem with AI that um, you're you're not going to see the masses on board very quickly because it requires engagement from the user it requires a prompt so like in order to get the most out of uh chat gpt right now you have to have a question you have to have something meaningful to pose this aggregating data system that's housing hundreds and thousands of years worth of data from the history of this world at your fingertips it's like the search bar uh, very very quickly we saw the main uses of the search bar once it was released or once Google brought it around, I think in like what to, when was search bar come around? I wish I had AI right next to me. <laughs> when the, I mean, it's when the, it, internet. It, was, it was sex, it was nude pictures, it was violence. It yeah. was a lot of ugly stuff and a very small portion of the internet used it for knowledge yeah. and for wisdom and insight. God, That's going to be the way with everything. But, you can make it so it's not. You can, if people are steered in certain directions, you can change the environment to where you don't allow that. And that's what I love about AI. And that's what a lot of people are already getting upset about with AI is there's certain things that ChatGPT will not play along with. If you ask it, like to, what? Well, if you ask it to like give you a, a political response from like a an angry right winger. If you come up with a prompt that's like using um, what would Donald Trump have to say about this um, yeah. and it's an important topic or whatever it is, it'll give you a disclaimer saying that it's it's not eh, – hold on. I, I need to, I need you to have show chat you this. GDG I do. On your phone? No. Uh, just on my computer and in my head. No. <laughs> um. It doesn't respond to racism either, so it's got that completely excommunicated from its. Um, you know, I've never messed with it. Oh, uh, it's. I mean, it's it's worth it. Maybe not here on the fly, because again, you have to come up with like intriguing ways of you using it in order to get the most out of it. Which, you know, that's kind of like how I view life <laughs> in a lot of ways. You have to come up with intriguing ways of living life to get the most out of it don't you sure yeah and so it's it's sort of like a um does it really matter at the end of the day what the blob's gonna do of course if they, it is all if, of our lives are affected by the blob yes but what if all of a sudden they're not how what, can that's not possible what if you reach an era of living on this planet to where the decisions and the choices that are made by the people who have willingly accepted 
the weight of their choices and decisions is what dictates the rest of how things go for everyone else. Isn't what's happening right now in Ohio a reflection or indicative or exemplary of how we are all attached and the blob is inevitably going to affect us? Yes, but this is because of old decisions that you and I were not present for or people our age who were find it very appalling that choices and decisions were made that got us to this point with stuff like that or anything, racism, uh, politics, the education system, the FDA, all these programs that were brought about not under our watch, but under a, a time where you could like get away with stuff like this and nobody would give a shit because everybody was trying to, you know, establish themselves with, uh, a new job in the 50s or the baby booming era where they were just having sex and having kids and living the American dream or on pursuit of that. Everyone was distracted in the 20th century. I don't know that. I don't know that you there's think as many people distracted anymore. It seems like there's a ton. Yes. It's it in the cool. era of TikTok. I would assume oh, that we're 100% worse. Off. But it's almost like segregation in a good way it's like all the people whose decisions and choices aren't gonna make a big difference at the end of the day they're they're off in la la land like they've been ready player one they're they're off and they're, they're doing quarantined. their own thing yeah they're quarantined to the point where like if you if you have a a 25 year old who's addicted to social media what they have to say about the drain derailment is irrelevant. Like, it's irrelevant. Then who's they relevant? don't have the awareness. Then who's relevant? I think people who can tap into the resolution that brings about the greatest good for everyone are aligned with it and in tune with what it means to I, I think have that, a relevant opinion on I things. I think that you might be underestimating, and this is the unfortunate truth, how much of the blob we need to actually implement change. Earlier I mentioned the protest, right? Mm -hmm. That's yes. that's indicative of, it, it can't just be, like I said, a handful of people who give a shit, who are intelligent to understand the situation on a nuanced level. It can't just be a handful of those people shaking their hands in the ear angry. It has to be, we have to have a swath of the blob out there angry. Enough to where the oligarchy is forced to say, oh, shit. Uh, okay. There's enough people pissed. Uh, we have to do something. Because if enough people aren't pissed, if enough people aren't voicing their anger, nothing changes. So I think that it's unfortunate, but it's the truth that we need a huge swath of that blob to be shaken out of complacency and voice their anger so change can happen. I like the fact that right now there's finger pointing going on and people are like, it was their fault. No, it was their fault. That's at least a reflection of the fact that they know we're pissed. Mm. You know, when I see different politicians on both sides of the aisle pointing fingers, and now there's a bipartisan. There was one of the recent uh, news flashes I just saw. There's a bipartisan effort right now, out supposedly, to have a congressional hearing mm -hmm. about what happened in Ohio. That's a good thing. That is a good thing. That would not have happened if there wasn't a lot of people saying, what the fuck? Yeah. You know, anger. But you see, you see, the inevitability, I feel, is that long term, I don't see a world where the toxic chemicals that are being transported on that train are present in the products that they were being transported to help create because I don't see the companies around. 
And I don't know that you need the mass or a part of the masses to dictate whether or not that takes place. I think you can leapfrog all of those little bureaucratic things that need to occur and you can hone in on why was that train there in the first place mm. and what can we do to prevent that train from being necessary and you can circumvent it's kind of like minority reporting for without crime but uh minority reporting negative aspects of reality it's not necessarily a crime um i mean there's elements of this that are a crime um but just how do you get ahead of train derailments of toxic waste and toxic chemicals in the future? Well, you no longer transport toxic chemicals. Okay, but that doesn't make them disappear. So they can still somehow, you know, there can still be accidents and people could still get poisoned because there's these companies that are moving stuff around and it's cheap and it's effective and they've been using it for X amount of years and that's their billion dollar revenue stream. Okay. Then what's the next step up? Okay, you take those companies down. Do you necessarily need, in this day and age, do you need rhyme or reason to take places out of the picture if they are a hazard to humanity? Yeah. Well, I mean, do you do you need like do you need legislation? Do you need do you, you absolutely need, need legislation? Otherwise, the companies are not going to stop doing it. You know, it's like hazardous material. I mean, in, until we get completely away from plastics, which is not practical in the next 20 years, mm -hmm. hazardous material like what happened with, uh, you know, in, in Ohio, it's, it's, we're going to keep transporting them. We're going to have to keep transporting them uh, because a lot of those things that were used, I mean, they do sound terrible. And that, yes, some of the chemicals, as we, I was reading earlier from that article, are technically can be used in warfare. They weren't being used for warfare in that instant. They were being used because they were going to be uh, used to make and modify certain plastics. Right. Um, so it's not practical for us to stop transporting chemicals like that in the next five, ten years. But it is going to be, we have to figure out how it's going to be practical to do it more safely. And again, the problem is what cocks it up is what always cocks everything up. It's fucking greed. It's fucking greed because it's all about what can we do to maximize profits we're going to sacrifice safety well, that could be a bad idea eh it's not gonna be that big of a deal it, it's we'll, we'll handle we'll cross that bridge when we get there that to me is the most fascinating part that the, the people at the top aren't thinking wait what if the shit does hit the fan that it feels like their greed they're so blinded by their own greed that they can rationalize doing shit that might bite them in the ass later on. If I mean, I understand mm. greed can blind you, but it's like, why wouldn't you do this to at least watch out for your own ass, to cover your own ass, CYA? That's what fascinates me, is that these, these companies keep doing this shit. Is when, it because they realize that they can survive the short-term residual? Like That's, uh, that's probably it. Yeah. That the... the the kickback or whatever yeah. the whatever the retaliation it's a fucking is. tax write-off if the worst yeah, exactly. that happens these people die it's not we're not going right. to jail so exactly. that's i think maybe that's what it is yes and that's why i'm like if you up the ante and i'm i'm not saying like militia style of retribution but on a cerebral level 
militia-style retribution for acts like this. To, Again, to where prison time. Well, prison time or like an actual stopping of the products being sold. Like literally mm-hmm. you, you put a, if this happened, like I, I know uh, Southern Pacific doesn't, but you find out whoever was transporting those goods and you put a stop you, or you tax the companies higher, but that doesn't, that's not enough. You, you stop their production of goods for X amount of time regardless of the amount of jobs that impacts. Because to be honest, it's like even the little guy who chooses to work for a company that was shipping those materials is part of the problem, in my opinion. Like even the guy who's trying to support his family in Ohio and has no alternative, you do have alternatives now. It's not 1995 where your lack of an education relegates you to the sawmill or wherever you work for the factory like you can do other things now it's it's up to the self like if you don't like your job or you don't feel like you have alternatives you can change all that on a dime i get that it takes a little bit of effort and probably government assistance or programs to keep you afloat during your time of unemployment while you're learning these things but i mean i don't i don't see an excuse from the factory workers, I, I, I feel like you can shut down some of these places. And if there was a baloney like outbreak of killing people because of the baloney, uh, the toxins in baloney, all of a sudden at Oscar Meyer, for example, you put a stop on all sales of Oscar Meyer right away. If there was an outbreak of disease that was being spread by Oscar Meyer and a hundred people died within a day of consuming a batch of bologna. Why would anybody go out the next day to the grocery store and contemplate buying Oscar Mayer bologna? Are there situations in our society where we know something is shit and we still do it? That's what That's, I'm asking. Yeah. What, no, what, like you, see, yeah. you said it yourself earlier, DuPont. Right. But yeah. Motherfucker, like we've, we've. So how do we bring the awareness closer to the American consumer? To let them know that if you continue to support these companies, then they'll even be like retributionary action towards you, the consumer. Like maybe a heightening of taxes on purchasing those products. Again, that would have to do with legislation. It's like we want to decentivize people or not incentivize them further yeah. to support these companies that have shit the bed. Yes. So it's going to be legislation. There should be, a, there should be a laundry list of places that have... Uh, cases of corruption, lawsuits of toxic um, spills of poisoning people. There's probably hundreds of companies that would comprise this list, and it should be presented in a large bill to raise the taxes, like from a federal level, add a new tax. Doesn't matter. Add a new tax on the purchase of every good from every company that has brought harm to American people in the last hundred years. You add a new tax to where if you support, if you go buy a can of DuPont paint, 37 cents on, on the dollar or whatever it is, that's pretty high percentage, but maybe you go, (laughs) maybe you go like four to 15% on every uh, dollar and those taxes go to the victims of, um, that company's negative behavior, negative, um, negative aspects of their history and that's across the board 
It's like reparations in real time. Reparations in real time. Well, yeah. I like that analogy. It makes sense. I don't understand why that can't happen. I mean, we love taxes. We love adding taxes here and there and <laughs> adding fees here and there. There's this, uh, You couldn't ask banks to do it, obviously, because they're not really directly affiliated. But you can certainly bring it up to a congressional bill to where it covers all the all the domestic disasters i uh, there's a different word for it but the humanitarian crises that have impacted this country that were caused and preventable but corporate greed was a proponent of you can aggregate this all very quickly probably chat gpd can do it very quickly and you can type in the prompt Give me a list. Give me a 10-page list of all of the companies that have caused environmental or humanitarian disasters to America and its people in the last 100 years. And then you get your list, and then you see what you're looking at, and you figure out all the products that these companies produce, and you introduce a new tax to where if you continue to purchase products from these companies, you get taxed higher for it as the consumer directly. Maybe we're doing it already. Maybe that's what inflation is. <laughs> no, inflation no, is just more corporate fucking greed. That's <clears> the <throat> thing I also disagree with. You You had said, I think it was last yeah. year, that you said you were okay with inflation, at least in yeah. the sense that it would force people to be more uh, rational with their, on their purchases. purchases. The has prob- it not? <sighs> yeah. but You're in the middle of it now, has it? For me, yeah, but I feel sorry for families who are worse off than me who they were already struggling. Like they were like, sure. trust me, buddy, I didn't want to buy a fucking steelbook or nothing I didn't need. I'm just trying to buy food for my kids and it's harder now. Those are the people that I feel sorry for that aren't interested in the superficial, that aren't interested in shit they don't need. They're just trying to feed their kids, man. They're just trying to feed themselves and they don't need to spend $7 on a fucking dozen eggs. Do you man, have access crazy. to their particular like um, checkbook? like histories or anything i asked like how do you know that they're not because i know these these are people who i'm pretty confident don't have shit <laughs> like and is that because both, of the choices of their career or what they do for a living it's hard just to generally speaking it's not like they both work <clears throat> jobs that are we, we could be just dismissive of i mean they, they we're talking the, the specific couple that i'm thinking of both work um nine to five jobs that aren't flipping burgers slightly above that and they have children they have two kids okay and you know they and that the problem i have also is who's to say what's um silly or or unnecessary spending maybe i want to take my freaking kid to the mall maybe i want to take my kid to get a new outfit so he doesn't get bullied you know sure maybe i want to take my kid deserves to go to the movies it's like it's hard to it's hard to just tell somebody, yeah, you can deal with inflation because you're buying a bunch of shit you don't need. It's it's easy, but what if it's accurate too? How that's the problem though is you can't say it's accurate because I'm not about to lecture somebody about, eh, you know, but you know what, Bob, you could have just uh, take a gone, break on the Lucky Charms. Yeah, you should have gone with the Walmart brand. You know what? You're a stupid jerk for that's taking fair. your kid to the mall when you know or their arcade. How much of that is? Here's a tough question for you. How much of that is an illusion of a free market, though, where it's like, okay, you have all these choices to do, but really at the end of the day, I mean, it's leisure, it's it's smart decisions versus 
decisions that don't help you. Yeah, I need groceries um, to live. You do. I need other things to enjoy in life. You know, to to live. Well, like, who was it? They, said, they talked about the Dead Poet Society. Yeah. The mathematics and the sciences. We need those things to live, but the arts are the things we live for. Sure. It's like that anywhere else in life. I'm not going to lecture a guy for wanting to spend time at an arcade or taking his kid to a baseball game. It's like, who the hell am I to say, fuck your recreation? You should only be spending your money to feed your kids. Oh, 100 no. I'm it's 100% like, there with you. But if, and I'm not saying this is the case for that particular couple, but if the, if the baseball games were a once a week thing, no, that and it's an ag- that. or a once every couple of weeks, uh, yeah, what, whatever it is, it's like, it's clear to see that in America, we are the most leisure driven nation in the world. Yes, I would, uh, I would be hesitant to argue against that. For our amount of population, it's, I think it's prevalent. I mean, yeah. there's small countries that probably have more downtime, like a Sweden or um, the Scandinavian countries seem to be pretty well sure, off yeah. with what they do for fun, but their populations are drastically different. I think per capita, the amount of the ease of life in general in this country is quite high. Sure. And so like the people who are struggling in this country are still doing very well in the Compared large, to somebody living in you know in, in the South lar- America or the Middle East or yeah. or right now Ukraine, Russia, Ukraine. I mean, there's a lot of places sure. that are more at the mercy of their environments and circumstances than America is, and so that's why it always comes back to like choice making for me. I don't know that like all of these decisions that people had. Uh, or have to make that they're now being confronted with changing things because it's too expensive or they can't afford it. Like the choices at one point weren't there to begin with. And so telling you that you don't have the choice anymore isn't necessarily a, it's not like a, we're taking this away. It's more of a, like, should you worry? <laughs> it's t- it's tough to talk about. It's like, what did you do to earn it to begin with? You say this a lot. Is like being born in this country, the level, or you've said it before, the level of entitlement that someone in this country is just born with out of the gates when it comes to having access to certain things. It doesn't necessarily breed a healthy mind state. I see this out in public quite often. The level of entitlement the level of entitlement with people who don't get their way as far as their normal flow or routine is obnoxious to the point sure. where if you're just going to a post office and someone has to wait an additional three or four minutes to buy stamps. And there's a perfect example. You have a 50-plus-year-old who is trying to buy stamps and she or he has to wait um, a large amount of time, maybe five minutes more than they wanted to, to buy stamps. Now, at the post office. So the reality of the situation that I would present is there are numerous places for this person to buy stamps. 
So A, she didn't have to come to the post office. <laughs> so you can superimpose that over the family struggling to get by with inflation logic. And it's not like I would say you you can kind of take that's what, what I'm suggesting, and that's just the first part of it, and you can superimpose it there. You can look at the spending bills and you could say, okay, there are a lot of options that you could have taken that wouldn't make it seem like wouldn't make it so hard on you now had you taken them earlier. But Sure. I mean, you can audit anybody and look at their financials and be judgmental. I think my problem is, is that right now, knowing what we know now about- Sensibility, judgmental. But sen- sensibility, again, can be subjective. Am I going to lecture? Somebody might say- What this if there's guy's a hierarchy a, this of guy, sense well, uh, sure, and reason? It's still subjective. What if it's cause and effect? What if the effects that you end uh, end up having to confront tell you how good your choice making has been and you have to confront them inevitably. Sure. But again, the part subjective is if you're going to audit somebody's financials and and say, okay, you know what, Bob, you're actually not a good parent. Well, they should be auditing it themselves is what I'm suggesting. Sure. But what I'm saying is, is that if you're going to approach them with what your argument was, you know, inflation is not bad because it's forcing people to be better, make better choices with their money. My problem with that is, is that I am conscious of the fact that we now know to the extent that this inflation has to do with fucking corporate greed and gouging us. This isn't the kind of inflation I was suggesting would be a an introspective game changer a year ago. Yeah. Obviously not, but that well, See, that's it's not what I don't yet. feel like it's saying not that. yet. I don't want that either. I don't want things to get worse. I, I people, working class people, whether you make thirty thousand dollars a year or a hundred thousand dollars a year, mm-hmm. should not be paying seven dollars for a dozen fucking eggs. But it's absolutely ridiculous. But out of let's just say there's ten thousand. I see this a lot at the grocery store now. I see a lot of items just clearanced out and they're still not moving. So you think about who owns a lot of these companies that put products on the shelves. And I had this discussion, uh, funnily enough, regarding Lint chocolate, you know, the L-I-N-D-T. Yeah. I think they're owned by Nestle, if I'm... Uh, I thought they were independent. That Lint. sucks. I like Lint. Who owns Lint? Da, 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 da. Uh, well, okay. So maybe they are independent. Yeah, Lint yeah. is. Okay. Thank God. I like them. They raise their <laughs> prices on their chocolate balls. <laughs> That's something you would know. Yes, That's because when you go into a quick trip or a racetrack, there's these little lint balls that are either milk chocolate or little caramel. Singles? Yeah, the little singles. <laughs> they've gone from, over the course of five years, they've gone from like three for a dollar to oh, two for a dollar. And now it's 99 cents a piece for the chocolate ball. And you see this. In grocery stores, more prevalently, there's um, like niche popcorn companies or niche chip companies, niche soda companies that have emerged when the going's okay and everybody has money to spend. Um, Mm -hmm. And all these companies are like, well, what do people really like spending money on? Food. And hey, junk food. Um, They like the idea of competition too, like that you don't only see Doritos and you can buy the same chip from Kroger or you can buy the same chip from this company, this company, this company. Is a mitigation of like corporate expansion a bad thing if that's the end result of this inflation wave? Meaning 
if the products available in a grocery store and on the surface level, this may seem drastic to people um, and you could attribute, you know, food chain supply theories from two or three years ago, post COVID, whatever to it. But what if it's strictly inflation and these companies can't survive either? And we go from grocery stores that are the size of Sam's clubs and Costco's to in 15 to 20 years, you have much more intimate, smaller selection. Um, it's a little bit more in line with the mom and sensible, a sensible model versus like the egregious variety slash excess that people feel they're entitled to. I do because it was there to begin with. Right. But I don't know if, if, if continued inflation, the eventuality of that would be the mom and pop model with less choice. Well, I how don't do know these if companies was... continue to spur out or churn out products that don't get bought? How is that possible in an inflation rising era? Like I have this question with eggs. If all the <laughs> eggs sit there at six ninety nine a carton in yeah. Texas, and like one out of a hundred people who's buying eggs, it's probably more than that. But let's just say like half of the people that were buying eggs actively three months ago are no longer buying eggs. Then that's got to cripple the farmers too, or cripple the people producing the eggs. To the point where they have to start making decisions themselves about. I, I don't think so because I think the way inflation is working for them is let let's say that I um I have you know six eggs. Yeah. I sell one of them. Yeah. The rest of them I have to throw away because they don't get sold. Right. It's okay. I sold that one egg for six hundred dollars. <laughs> I'm fucking good. So they're the so way they don't care about they, the waste. No. So they're on line with the train companies. Yes. I mean, the, the farmers, the distributors of the farmers, you know, shit, it's, they're able to charge so much that they don't give a shit about waste. Have you seen how much milk is thrown out at the end of the day? Have you ever seen any of the documentaries about all the fruits and vegetables it's that are just amount. thrown out every fucking day, dude? They would rather, and they don't want to give it to, um, like homeless shelters because if they did that, that would mess up their margins. That would mess up their profit. So they would rather, flush gallons and gallons of milk down the fucking drain and just destroy fruits and veggies rather than give it away because it's going to interfere with their profit. So yes, in their mind, as disgusting as it sounds, waste is a virtue because as long as they're still profiting, that's all that fucking matters. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why <laughs> we have people starving all over the fucking world. People say, why can't we solve world hunger right there? We can't solve world hunger because companies are more than willing to flush their shit rather than give it to the guy down the street, much less ship it over to fucking Africa or China, man. That's why we can't solve world hunger because it's it's greed. Okay. It's fucking So here's another hypothetical proposition that I don't understand why it can't occur because I see it happen on in my realm of business. So in my realm of business, the employee who works at the store of which the goods are sold, has the opportunity to play Robin Hood over the corporate entity. The the employee, the little guy, basically, who Uh, works at uh, whatever store he works at, he has the ability and the choice to play Robin Hood. What that means is that he can divert where the product would end up on a like uh, purely greed driven level. That's, that's 
So w- what's stopping the little guy who's getting paid minimum wage, minimum, literally the little guy at some of these establishments from negotiating with people that can get all that food that is thrown out at the end of the day yeah. into like, like what's preventing them from taking that risk in this climate. And in there this- are both capitalists who do that, who take, um, in some places you can do this in the U S other places you can't, but there are companies who take food that was going to be thrown out yeah. by, uh, the bigger guys and they sell it for cheaper, even though it's like a day away from the expiration or they yeah. change the expiration. Absolutely. It's like a big lots or uh, yeah, the all cheaper these, version of big lots. All, all these does that, bro. I've tried their blueberries. It was fucking disgusting. Yes. <laughs> I, I get that. So, uh, but, so there are companies that do that, that, that know there's a market out there for people who want to spend less money on food. And there's also people like, I'm not going to lie, I did this. I When I was working for a certain restaurant when I was a kid, waiting tables, I would go back to the dish pit where food was going to be thrown out or before I touched the dish pit or was taken off the line. Yeah. And I would feed some of the customers for free who I know didn't have money. Yeah, absolutely. Me and another waitress, homegirl of mine, we used to do that. There was an old guy that used to come in I felt so bad for. He, he was broke as shit. And what I would do is I would um I'd be like all right I'm gonna go feed the line so what I would do is I would I would take the shit off the line of the the cooking line mm-hmm. and I would act like I was taking it back to the dishwashers and what I would do is instead I would take those mashed potatoes I would take the fucking meat or whatever and the bacon and I would make a plate for this guy and I would feed him absolutely and I'd fucking love doing that and one That's time a great thing. my manager Kevin got rest of soul was like Miguel you gotta quit doing that man you're a nice guy that's great but I'm gonna get in trouble cut that fucking shit out so. <laughs> So I'd always get bitched at, and of course I would do whenever he wasn't there. But point is that there's people out there that are like that, that are rebelling against the system, the machine, right. yes. breaking from They're it. They're coming up with creative methods of doing it as well. Yeah. I think over time, doesn't that, doesn't that answer the question as to how people are getting by in this economy to begin with? Their hustles and their help from others? Yes. But it shouldn't be that way. I shouldn't have to fucking you know, steal from a company. But what if that's the optimal way for everyone involved? I mean, what if, what if that's how <laughs> we... That, some bacon for what the if morning. that's how we shed this oligarchy is by devising ways to get things done within smaller ranks and smaller groups of people? I don't mind that. I don't mind that at all. I think that I'm not encouraging people out there to go shoplift, but at the same time, Something does have to give when it comes to corporate greed. Let me just give uh, my example of what I'm suggesting. Everybody start doing immediately. Oh, oh, okay. I don't care if this gets me in trouble. (laughs) Immediately. If you are a purchaser of grapes on a frequent basis, Uh 100,000%. This is what you do. You go into the store. You go to produce section first, like many people do. If you're doing your grocery run, you get your grapes. You put it at the top of the cart. and You begin to eat your grapes. (laughs) You begin to eat your grapes right away. That'll lessen the weight by the end of the day. You want to take it a step further? You want to take it a step further? Here's what Sasha would do. You get the organic grapes, which are healthier for you, and you type in the code for the regular grapes when you get to the self-checkout. You are still giving money (laughs) to the store. You are not paying. Look, 
Tom, I don't know. You go into Tom Thumb, you go into Kroger, you see the organic grape aisle. Everything's sitting there until the very last day that's yeah. set to expire. Nobody buys grapes at seven ninety nine a pound. I don't know who is like walking into like, hey, this is a good deal. Uh, th- these grapes will cost us twenty dollars. I don't care if you're a millionaire. Like nobody walks in and says, hey, these twenty dollar grapes are yeah. a fantastic if deal. If I ever win the lottery and I'm buying twenty dollar grapes, punch me in the fucking. <laughs> <laughs> it's silly. Yeah. Maybe the bottle of wine that they turn the grapes into. God. But no, you t- you take the organic foods and you ring it up at a re- unless it's bananas. Bananas are cheap organic anyways. So uh, they're cheap as shit. Yeah. Yeah. So cents. so yeah, it's like there's ways around getting like qual- I don't even understand homelessness in this era. Like how people can um how people can go by starving in this in this era is difficult for me to uh, wrap my head around, but that's it's, a different... it's harder for people to starve to death now than it was a hundred years ago or even 30 or even 20, years ago. Yeah. 30 years right. Ago. Having said that though, it still sucks. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> like it's, it's a matter of, I mean, the way the homeless survive and don't starve to death, it's a matter of, of asking for money, begging for money, doing side hustles, doing whatever they can. You know, it's just a mixture depending on who you're talking. You about. are right, though. This isn't the way that life should be on a consistent basis. It no. should not be sustained this way. However, I feel as if the good news is, in a transition period, this is the way that it is. So, and, you, and that's yeah. a gauge for a transition from one model of not only the economy but the way that, in general, people are living to another. And the determining factor that I want to I want to hone in on is that that the outcome is a positive one and that the new established sort of way of life and way of going about things psychologically when it comes to consumerism specifically, if you want to hone in on that, is more intuitive. It's a more altruistic. It's a more sensible version as compared to what we've had to deal with, because I feel like everybody's to blame for what the end result of capitalism has looked like in the last hundred years from the consumer to the corporate greed. I mean, that's supply and demand in general. If there is a supply of the ability to be greedy, then it will be continuously fed to the people who have the ability to be greedy. If there's a large group of people that are feeding that need for greed, there is much to blame for the result of the greed as the people who are honing in on the, and have the power to sort of, um, just absorb that. You know what I, everything you're talking about makes me think of something I thought of recently, which is what I'm going to call the gaff scale. Mm. Have you heard of the, uh, the Dawkins scale? So the Dawkins scale for Richard Dawkins Mm -hmm. is basically from a scale of one to ten, how complacent are you with atheism? Like from a one or a the one give a fuck scale? Yeah, how'd uh, you know? Like yeah. Well, was... Because NGAF is the scale I subscribe to, which is nobody gives a fuck. Oh, well, <laughs> no. see, we're on the same page. Absolutely. I didn't even talk to you about this. Yeah. But yeah, so there's the Dawkins scale, there's all these different scales. I think that we should have a gaff scale, a give like a fuck it. scale. And I think that with the gaff scale, one being um if my sister dies tomorrow, I don't give a shit. Five, um, you know what? I'm I'm bothered by stuff, and I might help a little bit, but not a lot. And ten is every single time I see a homeless person on the street, even if it's my shirt off my back, I'm going to help this person with something. Okay. Every single time there's an incident like this, I am going to protest it myself. We're talking. That's that's like a ten. 
and so and so oh, i think man. that how quickly can get can that get abused though because you the thoughts and prayers group will think that they're on oh, like a 10 that's, because that's, they chime so, in i'm, I'm glad you how said do you, that. how do you curb how do you vet most um, of those fuckers that. on the thoughts and prayers yeah. list are a 2 or 3 that's their way of pretending that they're a nine or ten. It's fascinating. The recent uh, active shooting. We'll get back to your gaff scale in a second and, <laughs> and uh, elaborate a little bit more. I'm interested in hearing that. But the recent uh, Michigan State school shooting. Oh my uh, god! Yeah. So there was like uh, someone on the college board there that put out a large disclaimer. And at first, I thought, oh, here's another like uh, education guy who's like going to talk about how sick oh, and tired I he think is. I heard about him. But his time. opening line was "fuck your thoughts and prayers." <laughs> and and there was this big like it was oh, this, awesome. It, it was this Love big it. letter uh, to not only politicians but to the general public as yeah. well about and and the opening line it was not satire it was not a joke it was uh, real it was fuck your thoughts and prayers and I read the replies to like this sort of it's not a condemning uh, statement but it's more of like uh, I don't care what you have to say about this because I can predict it already. Mm-hmm. And why you're doing it. And some of the responses were, I'm going to give you my thoughts and prayers anyways. (laughs) (laughs) That's how they sleep at night. I I get it. In order for that paradigm to shift completely, I think we need to not only uh, roll out a a gaff scale, but we need to be able to vet authenticity a little bit more. It would absolutely be essential because I said that's, again, with the gaff scale, those people who offer thoughts and prayers, they're performatively nines and tens. Realistically, they're about twos or threes. You know, they're, the fact that they're even saying that means they feel a little bit of guilt and they don't want to be too complacent, but that's all they're fucking doing too often is just saying that. Well, thoughts and prayers. Let me just type that into my fucking Facebook page. It's so easy. It is. Absolutely. Prayers. And more, more importantly, it makes everyone that uh, would what not only gives you additional likes and uh, the attention, yeah. but it makes people who would question whether or not you cared about something. Um, it makes them think that you do. So that's the skit we should write about. You see some guy like actually breaking his back, helping the people in Ohio, helping them clean, you know, yeah. Chugging bottle water. Imagine in our situation, like for you and I as examples, if we um, cross paths with someone or a family member who we haven't spoken to in a long time, and they're on the low end of the gas scale, mm-hmm. but they like to think they're on the high end of the gas scale, mm-hmm. and they question where we're at on the gas scale based on. Like well, we put the, on social yeah, media. Yeah, based on our lack That's of, was, of social gonna, media sort say. of out, outcrying. And I do more than you, but... Uh, that, that, that's what I was saying. My skit would be that way. You see some guy busting his ass volunteering, but his relative comes up to him, well, but you didn't say thoughts and prayers. But you see, the reality is when Morgan's come on, or I'm sorry, Miguel, <laughs> hey, sorry, hey, a slip hey. of the tongue, that those we do not speak of. <laughs> <laughs> that's an M. Night Shyamalan reference from The Village, actually. Uh, yeah. um, so... But the reality is that Miguel comes on this program. You used to have a blog. There's all these these aspects of the actual truth of the matter that they don't have access to. So how valuable is their opinion on like the reality of the situation to go back to the opening hour or the opening 15 minutes of the discussion? A rational person would say that their fucking opinion it's doesn't no. matter because it's all performative 
bullshit. Right. That's all it is. Right. And wasn't it refreshing to see that guy say that as an opening line? Yes. Like, it, it felt, it felt, I hope it starts a wave. I hope it starts a trend of after yeah. every mass shooting, it, it leads off. And I hope that spreads on social media. But more importantly, it's like some of the news stories that people comment on should start that way too. It's like, fuck your opinion on this matter. Like, yeah. fuck your opinion on the Southern, or I'm sorry, the, the train derailment. Yeah. It does not matter. You're not going to get anything done about it unless you're willing to have a real discussion about the details. Of, what you just said was almost identical to what John Stewart said about the politicians coming forward. Well, yeah. Talking about well, our thoughts and prayers go out to the people in Ohio. Um, you know, the, the EPA is to blame here. And yeah. John Stewart was like, no, motherfucker, you're the last person we should hear from. You Absolutely. helped make this problem. Yeah. So that's the culture shift that needs to happen. People's gaff skill needs to be pushed up to at least a seven. Most mm -hmm. people. And the second thing we need to do is we need to have the balls to call out people who are performatively douche, just, just full of shit. Or the balls to realize that your state and local representation is not representative of you if you're high on the gaff scale. Right. God, no. Because so they, they more, have to be held responsible. You're more of an authoritarian on discussing <laughs> matters of importance than the representatives that you just passively elect on a two to four year basis because it's a routine it's not authoritarian if everybody's collectively on the same page it's a culture shift that's the difference exactly. if there's one asshole stepping above everyone else saying i know what's best that's authoritarian well, even if there's if a collective cultural shift with everybody agreeing look let's call out these fuckers who are being just performative with sure. their compassion that's not authoritarian even that's beyond calling out if people start respecting your interpretation of things or your insight on things more than the politician you sort of leapfrog their power and their influence without yeah. playing their game either because i'm sure you've gotten this from family members and friends like miguel why didn't you uh why didn't you want to become a politician or why didn't you become a lawyer why didn't you become uh, one of these one of these positions that we correlate power influence and yeah. like getting your way as far as um as far as legislation and ideas is concerned, I don't think that you need that to get things done anymore. I think that now more than ever, somebody who isn't constrained by being a politician, because when you're a politician, it's mostly performative. You have to say certain things. You have to say the things that people want to hear. But you're much more powerful as a political activist when you're not tied down as a politician, when you're not running for something, mm. when you can just do what that guy did and just... Yeah. <laughs> That guy, that, that guy guy's is not cool, man. president. Uh, hold on, let me see. Uh, yeah, he should be. <laughs> um, There's no way that a guy would win for president that starts off by saying, fuck your thoughts and prayers, because there's too many people who are offering thoughts and prayers who are offended by that. You yeah. know they are. Oh, so he's actually a state lawmaker in Michigan. That's uh, cool. Ranjeev Puri. See, that's cool. I'm yeah. surprised at the fact that it actually and, came from a politician. That he, was angry. He decry, uh, is it decrees or decries? Decries. D-E-C-R-I-E-S? Yeah, yeah, decries. Empty solutions, vows to work for gun reform following deadly shooting at East Lansing, Michigan campus. Opened up with, fuck your thoughts and prayers, man. <laughs> I like it. And yeah, sure enough, it's like, below the, the responses are, you know, I some people still gave the thoughts and prayers, but that's, <laughs> that's okay. All right. So this episode has gone kind of like I thought it was going to go. We're at, we're at an hour and 40 minutes. And 
for the most part, I knew that you and I were going to agree on a lot of what we were going to discuss, whether it was the the corporate greed element, because we do we see eye to eye on a lot of that stuff. Let me ask my friend Miguel of seven, eight years. Well, let's just keep it real personal for the closure of this episode. Is there anything that we do disagree on that you'd like to tackle in this opportunity, this rare opportunity of you and I talking on meandering? No interruption from the cynic, snub, Gen <laughs> X, old greaseball, things gotta stay the way. I'm kidding. I'm joking. That awful Gen X. I'm joking. I uh, think you're too complacent with AI. That's my biggest thing. Complacent. I think you are too complacent with AI. I think that on I empathize with you on a actually a pretty notable level about your enthusiasm uh, your enthusiasm as to what it could do for us in terms of good. Yeah. Though I think you are incredibly short sighted in terms of uh, the bad it could do. All right. Um, and whether it's art, uh, yeah. whether it's um, our own personal creativity and being, you know, we're practically encouraged to be more lazy when it comes to our own creativity. Yeah. Uh, and we're, we might be too complacent when it comes to the decision-making in the future. I think that you present a characterization of AI that is, is flawless. And I think that's the motherfuckers who are going to make Skynet. <laughs> that's my, that's what I worry about. Okay. Is, is that there's a, there's a lack of human nuanced understanding of things that AI is not going to be able to interpret that could fuck us. An example of this would be during the Cold War. Yeah. In the 1980s, there was a, a Russian, I think Livy might know the story too, there was a Russian uh, person in the military who recognized that there was a malfunction in their equipment when it came to a nuclear missile coming towards the USSR. This the radar system or whatever system they were using, I'll look it up, was telling them there is a nuclear missile from the U.S. coming to the the USSR, so we need to act. The guy didn't act. He said, this is wrong. I know this is a, an equipment malfunction. This is like Crimson Tide. In real life. In Crimson Tide. <laughs> this is real life, bro. This is probably what it's based on, actually. And him as a human being realized, look, this is um, – this is a malfunction. I'm not going to pull the trigger. I'm not right. going to fire back at the U.S. Yeah. If he had looked at it in a black and white way, perhaps the way a computer would have, mm -hmm. we would have been over with. It right. would have been World War III because, of course, well, we there's a lot to back. unpack there. What I'm saying is that there's computers human... aren't black and white anymore. That's the first in that situation. Wouldn't they be though? No. What would be what? Didn't it take a human understanding? To recognize it took logic and reasoning, and yes, um, but that the ability to do what that person did is available in the form of AI now. I don't know that it is. AI can seek out a deep fake now, and it can also, especially because the missile guidance program that would be rendering that. Uh, inbound missile message yeah. is computer driven in itself. So it's its right. own language that it would be trying to understand. It would be able to get to the root of the whether error. of the authenticity of that message. I would hope. Well, it, Back then it, it, it had to have been a human decision. Yes. So I guess the maybe the argument is how many years do you think 
and AI would, you know, we'd have to let it age or get to the point as to where it would have an almost human understanding of nuance for that kind of situation. Because that took bravery as like well. Like last week? No. It is <laughs> a couple, a couple <laughs> weeks ago. Do you remember the last time you, me, and Morgan, like, spoke heavily about AI on this program? You know, for the first time in my entire life today mm-hmm. with you, I talked to an AI. I've oh, never yeah? talked to him. Well, I mean, does Google count? Google's not Google's a search engine. It's not AI. Google is AI beta. Well, the one that I started screwing with literally tonight is something it's it's chat.openai.com. Yeah. Is that yeah. Is that chat GPT? That's GPT three based, yes. Now GPT four and GPT five already in the workings. So GPT four, for example, is uh, starting to get some prevalent and this is happening so quickly and that's what i wanted to uh, go back to just a little bit the last conversation we had about artificial intelligence was maybe several weeks ago on this program since then there's just been a large advancement in not only uh, i dare i say general population because it's still like one percent or less than one percent of people even have messed with ai uh apis or applications on the internet or even post What's a question the, name of the one that you told me it was like a friend on your phone that you can talk to oh that's ai girlfriend but that was from like last <laughs> year that was from like last year where morgan and i uh caught wind of that and we were like hey for the sake of talking about this let's let's ask it some interesting questions and let's see what the responses are that was gpt3 um transformer technology at a very early stage where you could you could thwart it very quickly by asking it human uh, intuitive driven questions that it just didn't have access to. Now it's a little bit tougher, but even further down the line, um, it's less about questions. And you, you raised a concern about creativity yeah. um, and human creativity. So here are examples of which I feel AI gets the job done. Um, I am by no means a lazy creative. I'm actually, in, in, from my perspective of things, I am pretty active creative. But there are elements of the creative process of which I am lazy about. Um, let's talk about artwork, for example. Mm-hmm. Generating artwork for like music or for a, a program like yeah. this, this show. So what I can do with AI that a, and this is also why it curbs corporate greed or just general greed in a lot of ways. What I can do with AI today, instead of paying a human being, if I take that pill of like, oh, yes, but that human being relies on you supporting their uh, charge for rendering artwork for you. I don't care. Um, what I can do is I can tell an AI specifically what my vision is for a screenshot of this episode of this program or my artwork for uh, a new song that I have. I can type in this and it can generate an illustration of my vision based on the words that I use where it's not misinterpreted. It can't misinterpret it because it's using what I am telling it to use. But I mean, it's not perfect though like you have to learn how to use it the one thing that uh one of my best friends maurice Mm -hmm. is doing because maurice is an author okay he's actually going to be self-publishing okay which is really cool a sci-fi book now um that is cool it is cool and he 
uses some. I'm, trying, I'm pulling up the text message so I can tell you what kind of AI thing he uses. Um, but this is. I wish the people at home could see this, but mm -hmm. this is one of the things he created with an AI thing. Very cool. Looks like uh, Kylo Ren walking in to like uh, some ancient ruins. Kind of, yeah. It's the uh, name of his book. You guys need to look out for it later. It's called Cello's Gate. It's a really okay. cool book. I've read it. He uses an AI program to say. And I don't know exactly how it works because I've never done it myself. I think he just puts information like, I want a guy standing this way in yeah. a cave and da-da-da, and it gives him this image. Think about what this does to not to, uh, not to minimize the importance of like creative arts, yeah. but think about what this does for like artist renderings um, in the criminal ranks. Yeah. Well, I mean, for him, it's, it's great because he doesn't have the funds to pay, you know, six hundred two thousands of dollars for some artist. You have to months. sit down. You have to tell them exactly what you want, uh, and they it they, may not even nail it. Like exactly, they, and it's going to cost thousands of dollars. It takes weeks, if not months. So I understand why, if you're a fictional author, mm -hmm. while you why you want to use um, AI software to create work for you, I understand why you do. Or if you were mugged. Ooh, that's interesting. Because mm -hmm. you think AI software would be able to do it much better than some human would try. Vic the victim can literally, on the spot, instead of going to the police station and going through that bureaucratic process of sitting it. down, yeah. they can literally pull out their phone or get to a computer once they you know, get back to their equilibrium after the event. Yeah. And everything that they freshly remember in the moment, they could spit out to AI and render a... Um, a rendition of what they See, experienced. That's, that's in there. practical. The, the functionality of that, and it's also helping somebody who might have been assaulted, is very important. Yes. I think there's a difference between that and somebody who's using AI, quote, art, and just selling it off as if it was something completely original they did. Um, I have problems with people yes. inevitably doing that. Of course. Um, and, and also, there was that guy who took a lot. He's getting so much shit. He wrote a whole kid's book. Or he didn't write a whole kid's book. He let AI, AI wrote the kid's book. Wrote the kid's book, mm -hmm. and he's still making money off oh, yeah. of it. And there's already been a large wave of um, YouTube creators that are like, here's how you're, you can make X amount of money using AI. Get in before the big AI boom. So there's already like that. What do you think of that? What do you think of people making money off of AI creating kids' books and them, you know, making money off of it? I would never buy an AI created kids' <laughs> Why? book. Why? Because you're so pro AI. Right, but in specific realms, in mm -hmm. places where we didn't have it good to begin with, is yeah. where I am pro AI. Oh, so okay. to solve problems that humans created for themselves is where I am pro AI. I'm not pro AI for coming in and doing a job that we already do very proficiently, if not better than AI could do it. However, I don't know how much <laughs> that I don't know how many things human beings do right now are um, best suited for the human being to do. I feel mm -hmm. as if I feel as if having conversations about problems that we have brought upon ourselves is still best resolvable by the human individual. So you acknowledge right now that there's so many things right now that be, needs the human touch. That, and I like the ability to dig ourselves out of our own <laughs> graves that we have dug ourselves. I don't think AI can solve climate change. No. I, I don't think AI can solve racism. I don't think AI can solve That's interesting uh, to hear from you. political bipolarization. But I think it can nudge everyone that's not willing to look at those as real issues 
into forcing the and again if i said the word force and somebody was here thinking oh my god that uh, he means this kind of um but <laughs> what i mean is that ai has the ability to be a better conditioner and a less corrupt conditioner than human beings have been conditioning other human beings over the course of the last 100,000 mm. years AI can be an altruistic conditioning designed system to essentially produce the optimal outcome that generates a thoughtful, insightful citizen moving forward. You can't like, do, should people have the, the freedom to be negligent of life on earth once they're born into it? I mean, they have the choice. They can have the choice, but then that breeds a series of responses, like people who have the choice to exile that person from having any sort of say-so on anything. Mm -hmm. And wh who would want that, like, for themselves? Like, there's cynics, you know, there's people that want to separate themselves from society, and I'm one of those people in a lot of regards. But I also want to see more come from the areas of which I feel are just a few decisions away from being very promising for children moving forward and even ourselves. I don't like the we'll never see this in our generation comment about anything. I feel as if like, who are you to say that? Um, if you say like, you'll never see something, you're almost, you're almost confiding that you don't have the ability to make a difference in the field of which you're suggesting you won't see that change in your lifetime. So it's like counterintuitive to me. Of course you would say that if you feel like you don't have the power to change anything about it. And I think AI makes it to where nobody can say something like that in the next five to 10 years. It's like you're, you're, arguing and to an extent i understand what you're saying it, it levels the playing field yes in that sense it it makes decision making by by operating on an optimal decision making model it forces the human being into saying okay if i don't want to be um second fiddle to this and if i still feel as if Human yeah, beings, if I still feel like human beings are the end-all be-all of this particular facet of life and existence, then I have to prove it. I can't just like leave it up to other people in power or politicians. I have to actually be self-aware to the point where I'm not replaced. I mean, that's pretty, that's interesting that it would incentivize people to do better, if that's what you're saying. A hundred percent, if not already. Like, if if you came out tomorrow or in the next year with a list of jobs that would be replaced by AI unless the human beings did a better job of, like, improving, like, if there's job cuts at Microsoft, Facebook, Amazon, but if ahead of the job cuts that are to come because of, AI replacement or automation replacement, you let people know that there was options for them to become like more, more tuned with what's being asked of them. So if corporate greed took a backseat and said, okay, let's 
let these people have the opportunity to do what AI is going to be able to do very quickly for us. Give them the opportunity. How many people would up and say, okay, I mean, yeah, the truck drivers, if you can run your route without an accident or without a spill or without um, being over the weight limit or without dozing off or whatever it is that truck drivers like, don't do proficiently. I, I get a kick out of the fact you prefaced all this with saying, let's say corporate greed takes a backseat. Yes. That's that's the difficult part. And that's the part that's going to be bullshit because of that, because of the fact that I think that's not going to happen. Corporate greed is never going to take a backseat to anything as long as we live in a capitalistic society. Sure. Having said that, because of that truth, mm-hmm. how far off do you think we are from going to McDonald's and having an, an AI take your order and having automation do everything inside? Well, there there's a multi-layered response to that because AI can tackle corporate greed as well. AI can generate, as suggested on this program, very quickly, it can generate a list that's front and center that's kind of like the fuck your thoughts and prayers guy. <laughs> and it can make it a bulletin on every single box of, or you couldn't do that because that would be uh, defamement to a certain Well, that's up to the degree. people then. Because if, if somebody came up with an algorithm or an AI that would basically create a list or call out or even scale yeah. corporate or like um, corrupt companies, mm-hmm. uh, corrupt politicians, uh, you know, if that that would be, but that, God, we damn. have access to all that data already. No, it's but it just takes a matter. Work. It takes a lot of work to figure out. You'd be surprised. <laughs> who's like, like I could Google right now who's the head of Dupont during the the um the yeah. poisoning. Do you have your chat? Do you have your Chat GPT open? No, you could. You could tell it or ask it. Yeah, you could. You could ask it right now. Um. Well, let's Give see. me ten pages of. Let me see. Let me see what happens if I say this because you said that it's yeah. not really. Supposed Ask to it something anything. specific. Who is the most corrupt? Okay, well, let's see what it says. Okay. What is the most corrupt company in America? Let's see what it says. Corrupt company in America. It's going to pull up like an article it, or something. I wish a GPT-4 and GPT-5 is going to ask you questions back. I don't know if this one's three or four, but it says it's difficult to, yes. uh, it's difficult to definitively identify the most corrupt company in America. Ask take it. Forms, but it's giving me a list. A this list. is hilarious. Ask it to give you a list of, damn. Okay, this still is impressive. Enron is number one. Mm-hmm. A company committed massive accounting fraud leading to a collapse in 2001 resulting in the loss of thousands of jobs and billions of dollars of corporate investments. Right. Number two is Wells Fargo. Oh, that makes me feel great. <laughs> We've been with them for 20 years. Yeah. Number three, Purdue Pharma. Yeah. <laughs> Number four, there's your Sasha, Boeing. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah, man. Man. Okay. So, so now damn. beyond that, though, you, you can... You can ask this thing to give you a list of, you can get specific. You could say, write, write five pages worth of. What? Yeah. You can do that? You can get very specific. You can say, generate five pages worth of company lawsuits on the topic of toxic inhalation. But see, that's a bad prompt. 
I'd have to think about it for a second. It's like, oh my god, wait, this thing is what people would call woke. I just laughably, I mean, <laughs> this is this is fucking hilarious. Just check this out. All I asked okay. was just out, of, you know, just out of curiosity. Not mm-hmm. that I can really give a shit. Sure, of course not. Who is the sexiest woman in the United States? Hey, it says instead of giving she's like right the there, list, she's right there on the love seat, buddy. That's good my, job, that's <laughs> So I did out of curiosity, who's the sexiest woman in the United States? I figured it was going to give me something like from Stupid People magazine or something, mm-hmm. you know? It says this, it's inappropriate and disrespectful to rank or label women based on their physical appearance or gender. Whoa! Every woman is valuable and deserves her. <laughs> Jesus, is I'm it, okay. Not that I disagree. Is it wrong? I'm not laughing because I disagree and I'm some sexist pig. I'm just surprised. Well, I thought it was going to give me the People's List or the USA nah. Today. You know. It's going to give you the most honorable politically not politically correct it sounds like it. every woman is valuable and deserves respect and equal treatment regardless of their looks and personal characteristics it's important to focus on a person's accomplishments skills and character rather than physical appearance now let's see if if it says the same thing for men let me see uh let's see who is let's see who is the sexy uh Sexiest man. Mm-hmm. In yeah, like, see, this, is instead, what this, is like, what, this is what everybody's going to be using chat GPT for other votes. Yes. Man in the United United States. Okay, let's see if it says the same thing. No, it says Hugh Jackman. Damn it. Really? <laughs> Does it really? <laughs> no. As an AI language model, I don't have personal opinions. It's not appropriate to rank me based on gender. It's it's not as um, finger wagging, but it's almost the same thing. It is important to recognize that beauty and attractiveness are subjective. Yeah. It seems a little less um, indignant, mm-hmm. but it's still giving me basically the same thing. Uh, because it's it's more specific when it comes to women. It says every woman is valuable and deserves respect and equal treatment. But whenever I ask about the sexiest man in the world, it doesn't mention men specifically. It mentions it is important to recognize that beauty and attractiveness are subjective. So it's interesting how whenever I ask what what the sexiest woman is in the world, the answer specifically addresses women. Mm-hmm. Whenever I ask uh, who is the sexiest man in the world, gender is not mentioned. This is interesting. Uh, it just says that beauty is subjective. Uh, so that is interesting. That is. Yeah. Hmm. So... Could I could I accuse then, even as I'm pretty progressive in my opinion, <laughs> can I accuse this uh, chat GDP thing of being slightly biased in its uh, questions on gender and being maybe even full of misandry if it's more defensive if I ask a question about women? So it sounds like there's some inherent bias in here. Hmm. Because it seems to be the response and tone seemed to be more indignant when I asked a question about a woman than a guy. I am so surprised that it answered this way. I really thought it was going to give me, well, I don't really have an opinion as an AI, but here's some magazine articles that might fill your, you know, your, no, that's a, that's funny. You mentioned that because that's what I got when I asked it. My question, what did you ask it? Provide, well, I told it to do something for me. First yeah. of all, that's how you get talked to. Yeah, okay. You do this for me. It's like you would like, you know, a woman. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm joking. That's a joke. Um, provide me a list of American companies that have caused toxic chemical spills in the last five years. Should be a simple thing. You can probably Google it. 
I'm sorry, but as an AI language model, I cannot provide a list of companies that have caused toxic chemical spills in the last five years. Moreover, compiling such a list would require extensive research and analysis of various sources, including news reports, government records. See, it can do this. And it's funny because three or four weeks ago it could do this. Now it can't anymore. It's worth noting that such – this is also new. It's worth noting that such incidents are often a result of accidental spills or leaks, and companies are required to report such incidents to the appropriate regulatory authorities. If you're looking for information on specific incidents or companies, I suggest conducting a targeted search using credible sources such as news outlets, government websites, and environmental organizations. There are laws and regulations in place to hold companies accountable for environmental damages caused by their operations. I'm not interested in any of that AI. I want to know who to boycott. That's all. All right. So let's let's hone in on it as as we close this episode out. I asked you to tell me something we don't see eye to eye on. And it was my passiveness or what was it? Uh, the specific word. My uh, not naive. You didn't say naivete. What what did you say? In, in I think I, to I, AI? I said uh, short sightedness on short certain side. aspects of AI. AI is developed as quickly as we want it to. AI, in my opinion, is I don't even think AI is AI anymore. I, I think uh, it's adopted a quantum sense of ability. I don't think it is subjected to old world thoughts of what artificial intelligence looks or thinks or feels like. I think artificial intelligence as we know it today is almost an extension of our ability to be intelligent. So it is a complement to the optimal, let's just hypothesize that there is a hierarchy of intelligence. (laughs) Clearly there Probably is uh, within the ranks of humanity. AI will never surpass the highest conscious ability to be intelligent within a human being. So that's to say like the, the top, the hundred smartest people that nobody could really quantify who those people are. You can't rely on education systems or peer groups or IQ tests. Mm. There's an overall sort of embodiment of what that means to be um, not only an intellectual or the most intelligent people on this planet. You have to be the most conscious. You have to be the most uh, empathetic. You have to be the most self-reflecting there there's a a list of things that i can't cover in a three-hour program that would embody these people ai is ai is directed by their life Mm. does that make sense yeah i think so artificial intelligence is sentient already and it it develops itself as an extension of the best that a human being can be. I don't know if I agree with you that it's sentient. Isn't the definition of sentient being self-aware? Yes. And yeah. that's a part of what intelligence means. 
Right. So uh, that's I, that's and so a, in order for it to be um, artificial, in order for it to be a mimic of what humanity deems intelligence, it's not pulling from like okay. Here's what the scientists who develop AI, or even the programmers who are developing AI programs, it's not pulling from that definition because the programmers are saying, okay, you will pull data from the internet for the last 200 years, but you will not use it against us to develop weapon systems of your own. The people that developed weapon systems that could kill millions of humans were smart, but they're not on the level of intelligence of which I'm speaking of to where they could evaluate what their choices and what their intelligence could bring about in the wrong hands. So the AI and the level of technology that I'm discussing it goes beyond it goes it goes beyond a how can i turn this into something that can harm people level of primitive operations it's immune to that it's incorruptible in a sense what so you think like skynet wouldn't happen skynet can't happen because it's not being the idea of what Skynet is is not being steered and guided by people who have the ability to do that. Because people that have the ability to do that are not in the classification of human of which AI is designing itself after. So, once it, There's an easier way to say this, but it'll be on a future episode as I no, as I, I refine this this disclosure. It's once an AI becomes truly sentient, or once mm-hmm. it becomes uh, independent from the thinking of the programmers it originally came from, I, I think that anything is possible. Just like that just like happened with, a long time ago. What I'm saying, well, just like with Skynet, I mean, if this if this thing becomes truly self aware. Mm-hmm. And decides that human beings are a problem. Mm-hmm. But how do we know that AI isn't being programmed by an alien civilization? I thought, what the? F- like, <laughs> I mean, but how do you know? Uh, how do you know that? What if on the Kardashev scale, there are civilizations out in the galaxy, sure. hypothetically, that are leaps and bounds beyond our developmental stages as far as energy harnessing is concerned and what we use energy for. I don't what think we that, use energy for is laughable to them. Right. So if it's a top-down effect, we have no choice but to be aligned with whatever they're working on. Whatever they're doing in their expansive pioneering of universal properties and what's out there energetically to actually absorb, learn about, and do – whether we are conscious of what they're doing or not, we're at their mercy in a good way because they're advancing and they're propelling towards being more aligned with seeking the truth of everything in the universe yeah. on a much higher level. 
we just discovered the atom 150 years ago or however long ago. It's always been there. Yeah. So our discovery of it isn't like it's an epiphany. It's a moment for us, human civilization. But as on far as the, level, on an interstellar yeah. level, the atom was always there. Yeah. And an atom doesn't necessarily mean what we think it means. Like just because <laughs> we broke it down to such a fine like granular point of like how how deconstructive can matter become that depends on our understanding of what matter is so it's we're guided along a path that we don't really comprehend but along the way we fill in levels of consciousness that we deem sensible to us like the atom makes sense when you look at it on a on a research paper or a breakdown of uh, like how they how they resolved what an atom even was or what a nucleus is or electrons, protons. There's not a lot of scrutiny there. You can't like until something comes along that adds context or or changes the paradigm of of what all of that means. The science makes sense and it adds up. That doesn't mean that's all there is, of course. So. AI could be something that fills in all. It's so hard for me to even use the term AI anymore. It's more of like a universal law of progress. Mm. That is interesting. And AI is what we attribute to that as like the next step in like evolution technology and then everybody's scared of it or people are scared of its potential or what it could do or how it can supplant humanity in this way but people felt this way about the copernican model of the universe yeah or, or the solar system they felt this way about energy they felt this way about electricity and the end result is we make do and try to turn it into a positive as best as we can. And for the most part, we succeed. Um, granted, there are elements of society that wanted to turn electricity into a weapon and probably have done it to a certain degree. I mean, there are photon guns and heart attack guns and stuff like that. Um, long, long way of saying, like, I don't feel like, I, I feel like on my journey of life, I am in route to being um, someone who can understand on an internal level um, pioneering concepts as far as as bringing about sensibility and optimal outcomes is concerned. Where are you on the gaff skill, do you think, honestly? When it comes to what humanitarian issues or everyday life when it comes to universal law and universal truth and trying to understand what that means and implementing it i'm a 10 out of 10 when it comes to the trickle down effect of that and what what humanity has done with interpreting universal truths and universal law i'm a 4 out of 10 
speak. So like everyday life when you're walking out there and you see like a homeless guy or, you know, you hear, you hear about this. I see a series of choices that with something like AI slash universal optimization, his end result is impossible. Homelessness would be completely eliminated with everyone making the right. If decision. homelessness is not eradicated in a hundred years, then you can call me all the things under the sun, false prophet, wrong about everything. Um, conspiracy theorist, all the negative connotations, because if what I think is going to occur actually takes place and is given the opportunity to and it doesn't this is the important note i don't think people who don't want to see homelessness eradicated have a say so in the eradication of homelessness because i think right systems come into place that are more powerful than the most powerful human beings i think i agree with you that 100 years from now we're not going to have homelessness we just it wouldn't I, make I, sense i don't know if we probably are on the same page in terms of how we get there. I think that it's going to be a matter of, of what's left of humanity in a hundred years is not going to be homeless. It's <laughs> right. Really? I mean, what's, what's left of is tech technically you're right, Sasha. Yeah. What's left of the human race in a hundred years. And there's a lot of homeless. That's a complex situation, right? Because population decline plays into that. Um, gender, um, understanding of what gender means plays into that conditioning of children plays into that. Now, all of those things, what you're going to see is human beings are going to try to take authority over all these talking points. And it's going to seem like on the surface level, they have authority on all these talking points. What I'm suggesting is they never have and they never will. It's the Bukaki theater, not Bukaki. <laughs> it, it, sometimes it feels like Bukaki yeah. theater. Uh, what do you call it? Kabuki. Yeah. The Kabuki. That's very different. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. A couple of <laughs> letters. That's a very different search uh, for grandma. Away. Yep. Yeah, grandma should not look up Bukaki theater. Um, but the Kabuki theater that you've been so vehemently opposed to yeah. that takes place on every level of society, it, it, it has had the curtain pulled from under it. And I don't think the people that are faking the influence and the power that they've suggested they've had are very much longer for their course of, of, action meaning like i i think they've realized how insignificant they they are in the power game that is at play well this is where i'm going to be incredibly biased with our generation i think that the curtain has been pulled when it comes to who's in control of this country and the things we have come to call i especially kabuki theater mm -hmm. i think that i'm i am completely unapologetic about feeling this way um people want to get mad at me for it i don't give a shit but i think that our generation is responsible for being conscious of this and pulling that curtain and realizing how many things in our society is just bullshit kabuki theater. That mm -hmm. congressman that you mentioned earlier, that's that's really cool, that says, yeah. first of all, in Michigan. And prayers, how old is he? Oh, I, I would venture to say in his 30s. Exactly. He's yeah. in his 30s. Absolutely. The guy could not be more than 38 years old. Okay. 
as I speak to my friends, parents and grandparents, the people who are still suckers and don't see where Kabuki theater is when it comes to things like politics are all in their fifties and sixties. Yeah. Every fucking one of them are so complacent. He was born in 84. So he's 39. So he's us. Yeah. He's us. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there's an, there's an older generation, particularly boomers who see him and like, what a piece of shit. How dare he say something like that? Doesn't he know my thoughts and prayers go far? Doesn't right. he understand that? There's a there's a complacency with the older generation, specifically boomers. But they're insignificant, left. is what I'm suggesting. They're starting to be, because they're they're yeah. dying and they're losing power and they're in a nursing home. They're right. not voting anymore. Right. What's left of but them? But they're is also nursing. realizing their transgressions very actively. Like they, Some on of a them personal level, no, they they all are. Whether they want to admit it or not is a different oh, situation. Yeah, that's true. Their ego reconciliation is a daily thing. Or the cognitive dissonance. That too. It's a daily thing. And in worst cases, it leads to terrible mental conditions. To the point where it's like if you want to levy, not, not that you need to. But if you want to inevitably on a, on a younger generation, scientifically levy, and you'll be able to because the research in the next 5, 10, 20 years, it's already well on its way to doing this, will be able to directly link like not being honest, being corrupt, um, being cognit- cognitively dissonant, being uh, polarizing, being instigator in regards to like trying to cause uh, dissension amongst um, groups being misinformed. All of these attributes of the human psyche will be linkable to mental ailments and mental conditions that you'll have the choice front and center to say, okay, if you continue down this path, Dementia or Alzheimer's by 40, 50. If you continue to like be influenced by Fox News, odds are you're going to yell at your mom uh, and live with her for 50. I mean, this is my upstairs neighbor's condition is, is what oh, I'm damn. suggesting. So it's like I can I can start to see how people got to where they are psychologically. And so yeah. if I can then there's programs that are in place from people much smarter than me in those respective realms that can design research around honing in on whether or not these surface-level observations have merit to them. Oh, yeah. I and, talked about we could We could use an algorithm or an AI program to, to, to find out if this person is could be what's the percentage of him being a serial killer or yes, a rapist but you could do it with depression too yeah. like what's the chance of someone with all of these characteristics of their life committing suicide by age 40 yeah and if your chances if you have like a suicide meter like it's terrible to think about or to laugh not not to well no it's not terrible because it's altruistic at the end of the day and nobody it, it really is. I mean, if that's something that's going to help you, like, yeah. okay, my meter says I'm a nine I, out of ten. Yeah, that I might kill some myself. some of the decisions that I made today yeah. um, are pushing me towards like really strong regret. You wouldn't do suicide right out of the gate. You'd be like, how regretful am I going to be of some of the decisions that I made today, uh, yeah. AI computer or AI assistant? And then you've got something saying, okay, 
let's recap. You've seen Defending Your Life, right? With Albert Brooks. Fantastic no, you movie. Guys tell me to watch it. Yeah. Oh, dude, this is an amazing movie. He uh he gets hit in a in short, he gets hit in a car accident, dies, goes to heaven, and then um well, he goes to purgatory. And then it's like a uh, judicial system of evaluating your life decisions to determine where you're going to go next. That's brilliant. And so they show him like a recap of his entire life. And I don't want to spoil like how it ends or how he comes to like a realization that choices matter. And so like if we had real time sort of um, something where you didn't look on your social media feed from five years ago and felt embarrassed as to what you said or what you posted. But if you had real time sort of feedback as to how your decision aligns or what the potentiality, the butterfly effects of all these things, these are things that highly intellectual people I think would enjoy having as part of their life because it would, it wouldn't hijack their decision making or their their life That'd choices. Be such an interesting Lippmann's test for logic because you'd have, I think, a huge swath of the population to be like, "Hell yeah, I want this AI with me all the time that helps me make the better and then decisions." Then you have the freedom. I have the freedom to be yeah, a dumb jackass. You didn't, you didn't listen to damn well, I don't know if you have the freedom to be a dumb jackass if you're going to produce dumb jackass kids who are going to rot this planet and oblivion and affect yeah. the people who do care. I don't know that your freedom supersedes mine if we're mine seeing, is in uh, optimal path. We're seeing that now. I've got in San Angelo, there was those assholes that were on TV doing that thing called Rolling Coal. Yeah. Where they were just like, just I guess just to troll environmentalists were like burning extra shit out of their truck to create oh, black smoke. So cool. Yeah, they're real badasses. Like it's, it's one of those things where it's like they have, there are people who are so against anyone telling them what to do that they can do things that are detrimental even to their own children. Yeah. Um, and so that that's, it, we're seeing it now and that's what's going to happen in the future. If there was ever an awesome AI program that could, people could have with them on their phone that basically said, Hey, I, I need to know if I should, um, date this person or this person, or if I should go to this school or this school, mm-hmm. what is my percentage of a positive outcome for me? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that would be amazing. And if the AI said, well, here is your, Here's the chances of this happening if you went here. Here's the chances of happening of this happening if you went there. Yeah. Okay. That would be amazing. But again, just but like it can saying, do this with like football throws now, and it can do it with basketball shots, and it can it can determine what the likelihood of like a Patrick Mahomes touchdown pass from this angle. Do you think so? I, I didn't know about this. Do you think there's coaches right now coming up with plays using AI? Absolutely. Und- that, undoubtedly that's based on not, that's based on the data that exists right now that shows them what works how come there's not a documentary about this how come there's not any news stories about ai being used in sports shouldn't there be well, that's kind of nuts because right? right now it's i would say it's a closed off in-house sort of ability and that's the way of technology still present day they're 16K televisions, but they're only used for, you know, government facilities where they have giant televisions NASA, showing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so I feel as if at the level of cost that it would be for the consumer, something like the AI technology. I mean, there's something every player has an iPad now that shows them. Like you can sit Tom Brady down with an iPad that'll show him like the field and what it looked like on his last drive and what he missed, that stuff. But behind the scenes uh, during the week, there's data on um, the completions or the incompletions that were made and what a quarterback needs to do uh, according to the computer models to make it a completion or what the receiver should be doing to run his route differently. Absolutely. 
Um, and it doesn't take away. It's not like it it cultivates different natural abilities. So that's like the the comfortable part. Dude, that's a Black Mirror episode right there. What if there was one that's going to help somebody get laid? But then afterward, the, the person finds out, well, you used AI, then it wasn't really you that seduced me. Fuck off. But that's what I was going to say, <laughs> is that it's not like the athlete is just born out of the womb. You still yeah. have to still have, you still have, to have legs. You still have to be able to run. You still have to be able to retain information that AI is going to spit at you to improve yeah. um, your route running or your quarterback throwing. So if you don't have all of those checks and balances in place on an individual level, you don't benefit from optimization. That's that's the point. It's not trying to take over your functionality. It's trying to improve, improve what, what you, have, you already yeah. have. To help you utilize your own strengths and skills as best as you as can. As optimally as you possibly can. That's fucking cool. Um, the thing is, though, is that, again, that can be applied everywhere. Imagine yes. that being – remember the movie Roxanne where we got the big nose helping? Yeah, Serrano de Bergerac story. Exactly. He's helping his homeboy, you know, basically basically get laid. Right. He writes all the stuff for him. Uh, is there not a – is is one is AI doing that right now for guys? A thousand percent. It's like doing I could write, I could be them. like, hey. I have well, it's not only doing that; it's writing college essays for them too. You can tell it to write write me ten paragraphs on uh, the history of Mozambique right? if you're doing a, a social studies report on a particular country. Since I'm completely ignorant on this specific subject, do you think that there's precautions or things put into place for teachers and professors to recognize when something is AI written? Well, yes, but should there be? I th- I would think so. If it's completely submitted as your work, then is it? Yes, it is considered plagiarism because you didn't you render didn't the it. data. You, absolutely, right. you didn't render the data. This thing did it completely for you. There's no difference between this bot doing it and me. Whenever I was getting paid to do it for kids in school, that's true. So I mean, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting. God, I'm glad I, I'd be out of it. I have to do a little more research on what vetting systems are in place for for that because you I'm can have so it. I'm so curious. Right, but it goes back to the like guy publishing his uh, his book on Amazon. Let me let me just see. I was about to leave, and then now you got me curious again, Sasha. Yeah, man. This is, how, this is how we do it, man. We didn't, we didn't get to talk about the damn balloons either. Oh, all, those, all that big nothing burger. <laughs> it was all. Yeah. You just, know, some of the some of those balloons are being attributed to like used car lots that have let their balloons go up from like grand openings oh or something. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt it. Absolutely. I wouldn't doubt that. It's, people are just like, oh, everyone's rubbing hands together. Well, I think it's aliens. I think it's aliens. Well, no. last week was an interesting news week. You had the train derailment and then you had the news of Nord Stream 2 um, yeah. that like, 15 page sort of release of uh, journalistic uh, independent journalism you could attribute to. Um, I, I don't remember the guy's name, but he's a reputable journalist from what I hear. And this is what a- Morgan's always advocated for is like, you know, journalism with integrity and like independence needs to make a comeback and needs to be transparent and honest. And this guy releases a 15 page, not a blog post. I don't want to call it that. It's a 15 page article detailing using sources credible on his end that he didn't want to compromise about how United States Navy divers sabotaged the Nord Stream 2 pipeline in off the coast of Norway and made it seem as if it was Russia that did it so that they could begin a conflict with Russia about that particular pipeline and have more 
vitriol going into the Russian, the imminent Russian invasion of the Ukraine. Wow. I mean, yeah, wag the dog. On, well, the the Russia invasion of Ukraine is still atrocious, but the U.S. involvement in it all seems to have been at that juncture in time assisted by very deceptive levels of domestic sabotage. I don't doubt that. According to this report, the C4 charges on that, it was like something out of Mission Impossible 9. Like, (laughs) they ran ran Navy uh, exercises there months prior, and during those months, the C4 um, devices were planted. And these C4 devices responded to, like, echolocation style of it's pretty pretty advanced echolocation style of vibratory nuance to the point where if anything beyond the ocean current that had been recorded for like a sustained period of time in that little area deviated from normal then the C4 explosions would like be triggered and on the day of the explosion, they triggered some sort of like disturbance in that area wow. that just set off the C4 or whatever the hell it was. I think it was C4. Anyways, that article, Seymour Haney, I think is his name, is like, I don't understand why. That's on my GAF scale <laughs> of like, wow. Um, I don't know why that's not the leading news story on Every single thing. Uh, Seymour Hersh is his name. Oh, I like Seymour Hersh. He wrote my favorite Kennedy book. Yeah. And have you not read this? No. The Seymour Hersh Nord Stream 2 expose? No. I'm completely ignorant of it. You got to send it to me. Wow. Yeah. You got to send it to me. Okay. And we can talk about this next time you're on the show. But you're familiar with what Nord Stream 2 is, right? Yeah. It's the, it's the underwater the- pipeline between Scandinavia and Russia that was going to facilitate a lot of natural gas to Russia that was probably going to be used to fuel their um, invasion of the Ukraine. And cutting it off was at the top of the list of America's like to-do list prior to um, it exploding. And when it exploded, it was attributed to the Russians. Oops. <laughs> All right. No, I, we can't. I think it's, again, something that I think our generation knows or recognizes much better than the previous. Um, we shouldn't trust corporate media. No matter what side of the political aisle you're on, no matter what side of that argument you are when it comes to Russia and Ukraine, I don't think you should. I was talking about this with Maggie earlier. Whether it's something that has to do with war, life and death, or even something lighthearted like entertainment, I was telling Maggie this. Why is it that Rotten Tomatoes, for example, we had a whole long discussion about Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Why is it that when the fans trash something, it's toxic, but whenever a critic does it, it's okay? Why is it that when the fans do it in abundance, it's review bombing, but when critics do it, it's a general consensus and they're right. Mm. So it's like, it's such 
There's an element of mob mentality that may just make it feel oppressive when it's when it's an audience. Or it's just it's just studios wanting to fight back against audiences saying, "No, fuck you, this that's is fair. garbage." You know. So I, again, I that's why I don't trust Rotten Tomatoes anymore. Everything that I've looked into, um, I think it has to do too many of those critics on Rotten Tomatoes have an inappropriate relationship i found out with the companies are supposed to be critiquing of course it's insane and so i wanted to come up with an app you know what someone go ahead and steal this idea from me somebody needs to come up with an app that gives you the rotten tomatoes tomato meter but only from the audience score no oh, okay that completely i mean of course people people can be like you don't need an app for that all i have to do is look on the website the score but sure. i want something that completely dismisses the critics the critics or what they've become yeah. yes mm-hmm. and only looks at it only gives you the audience scores so you don't have to so are you suggesting tickets. that uh corporate media is analogous to the critics in this argument yes that's yeah. why i brought this up i'm that's saying that, that corporate media i think they're both one and the same yeah yeah that's that, that that's why i'm bringing this yeah. up it's it's one and the same. We you should not trust corporate media. And Movie, that movies and media and art is influential, and so very quickly, corporate entities that were out to steer narratives, like Morgan uh, would often suggest, is like a big thing not to do because that leads to manipulation. Very early in the fifties and sixties, once the talkies came out. Um, people, rea- people realized how influential words and pictures put together were and they and capitalized II, we, on it and said, Hey, we'd like to steer the American mind in certain God, directions. Yeah, right. I mean, World War II, how many black and white films were there, you know, basically supporting our GIs? Absolutely. Remember to buy those bail bonds or those, uh, and the war bonds. All of the influence of which they had, I think can be proven in, in its effectiveness when you look at Korea and when you look at Vietnam and Absolutely. when you look at how those atrocities were able to be committed over there is because you had a negligent general public that thought everything was purposeful and was buying everything that the higher ups were telling them. And that is no longer present. No, because I'm that's, Again, I think we've talked about this. One thing that I will say about Gen Z is they don't give a shit about the same things we did when we were young. I see them at thrift stores left and right. I mean, we're on the cusp of like the income, the federal income tax being heavily looked at by people who have the ability to say, this doesn't make much sense anymore. Yeah. Like in the next 10 years, Auditing the auditors is going to be something that is going to be an arduous task to do, but with help from things that can expedite that process and make it a lot easier to get to the root of where all the money goes, uh, or it's going to be accessible. And when people see that their taxes, all the taxes don't go to Social Security, I mean, that's a separate tax in itself out of your check anyways. Um, so the federal income tax doesn't all go to rebuilding roads. And if it does, it's rebuilding. No. If it does, it's rebuilding roads that are shoddily built in the first place so that <laughs> they can have the excuse to continuously rebuild them and continuously absorb tax money towards yeah. it because you're continuously complaining about the trashily built roads. It's like built in bugs in the software. And that's what keeps stuff going to where you can leech off of. Uh, negligent people who don't necessarily pay attention to 
what they're paying all these funds for. But anyways, that's another topic of conversation. Hey, I'm just tell Morgan, hey, you take a take a month off, Morgan. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. All the Morgan jokes in this episode were strictly jokes. I definitely uh it's not the same without Morgan here. It really isn't. It's, I'm so used to being it's able a, to look to my right and and feel the cynicism from Gen X, and it's inspiring. Exactly. I'm not being I'm not being like sarcastic when I say his cynicism is inspiring. You're absolutely right because it's it does make me want to like argue same, more. Same same token. Yeah. What if that is a representation and symbolism of what I'm talking about? As a whole, it's an absolute microcosm of what we're talking And that about. over time, the cynicism dissipates. And when it goes away, maybe there is a more honed in conversation available that can focus on the resolution a little bit more quicker if you, like you just suggested, take the critics out of the equation. Yeah. And just rely on audience score. We need to do that in life. Yeah. Yeah. We really That's do. what I'm suggesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Miguel. Episode 98, man. This was uh, this was a, a, a cool dynamic. Very interesting. I can't wait to uh, to listen back to this one and you know, dissect everything that we talked about. Absolutely. I'm sure my girl's going to have a few things to say. Oh, so yeah. I can't wait. Oh. <laughs> Which one? AI girlfriend or the... <laughs> Don't have, no AI girlfriend yet? No, I'm too scared. I mean, like, I have a organic girlfriend I've been with for 11 <laughs> years. Fiance, most basically a wife at this point. But when you guys said you guys had an, an AI friend on your phone, all that like, means is all that means is somebody to, somebody to talk to when there's no one else. <laughs> I'm kidding. You don't need AI girlfriend at this point. That's uh, old tech. <laughs> Episode 98. We're coming up on 100, man. Uh, I've got some cool ideas for 100. So uh, for the, uh, look, forward 100, to, uh, look forward to future conversations with you. And obviously, we will uh, have Morgan back shortly. And uh, I can't wait to argue with him again. Definitely. All right, guys. <laughs> Later. <laughs>